Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Occasionalist. This is Adam Chemielewski here with the one and only Matthew Pagel. Citizen Pegs, how are we doing today? Doing great, man. Doing great. Good to hear from you. Ready to ready to dive into this episode. This is going to be a very yeah. fun one. Oh, yeah, you bet, man. I'm excited. I'm just enjoying my last couple of days before we go uh, we go back on lockdown and everything. So yep. uh, I'm, I'm excited to do this as well. This is going to be great. So, But before we kick off today's discussion, I uh, did want to get your thoughts as kind of like a lightning round on this phrase that... We've heard pretty much all our lives, but I'm telling you, man, it seems that I am hearing this phrase either online or actually verbally spoken via somebody, you know, on the news or whatever, just about every single goddamn day. So I wanted to ask you, when, in your opinion, like, what does the phrase the right side of history mean to you? So uh, this is this is really great. I, I did some digging into this into this phrase, um, like, some, you know, some for like some historical con- historical context, kind of where it comes from. Um, and I found some interesting stuff that I'm going to get to in a second, um, which kind of makes me think about this differently. But generally speaking, it's a it's a pretty simple turn of phrase. It's kind of an it's like this innocuous idea that certain actions or movements, uh, moments in time, whatever that are happening in our present will be looked upon favorably in terms of like the right side of history. That like you know, let's just say the, you know the current um, police brutality protests. Uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, like that will be, those people are on the right side of history. That in mm-hmm. some some point in time down the road, be it a decade, two decades, a hundred years, whatever, um, will be, society will be, will be looking at that movement as being on, being just and, and being good. Um, and there's also, like, you can also flip that around and say the wrong side of history, you know, perhaps, you know, a hundred years from now, for whatever, for whatever reason, that movement got squashed and it's looked at as a bad thing, could be like the wrong side of history. So it's it's kind of an innocuous statement about like what the future, what people will think about like these things in the future. I did some when I was doing some digging though. I never really thought about this statement that way, and it makes this makes a lot of sense. That it's it's kind of an erroneous statement, and it's potentially problematic because it presents the idea that time, time itself, the progression of time, will reveal some kind of lesson, um, lessons of truth and morality, and that doesn't like sound bad inherently, but that's what the Nazis believed. That's what fascist dictators believe. That's what the Catholic church believed 400 years ago. Five one still believes. Um, that's what a lot of, you know, a lot of like extremist institutions, extremist groups believe that as time marches on, they'll be right. Holy shit. Uh, I never knew about that part of the whole thing. I didn't really think about it that way either. Okay, yeah, like that that definitely brings a whole new light onto uh, this phrase and I'll I'll keep mine simple because my mind is definitely a little more simple is that I I use it as basically like a um almost like this phrase that is supposed to like reinforce what is right and wrong or good versus evil because mm-hmm. it is already determined. You know, history mm-hmm. has already de- determined this right and wrong and everything, which is basically like a two sentence version of what you said, which is way articulated way better <laughs> than what I did. And this um I've, your whole thing with this Nazi stuff, now that I think about it, it does make a whole lot of sense in everything. And this idea that at one point in time, you will be right or history or some kind of event, something will determine that your point of view to be right is definitely something that is one voiced or fascist or however you yeah. want to phrase it. It's not necessarily something that is a for the people type kind of it's, um, Yeah, exactly. Like, I think it's one thing when you or I say it, but if you have a political leader, you know, the president um, of the president or the dictator of a country, you know, like, the, you know, if um, Erdogan in Turkey 
says something about what the right side of history is. That should send up warning flags everywhere. If Putin yes. says this is the right side of history, warning flags should go up. If you or I say it, I don't think about it the same way. But when after kind of reading, after kind of like getting deep, digging deep into this, there is sort of like I mean that, that's exact. I mean even like American Manifest Destiny, right? That it's our mm-hmm. job, it's America's job to spread west and to, you know develop all of the United States. And really, at that point in time, it was all of North America. Um, like that's you know you don't really think about it as being bad, but like, yeah, like, okay. So what about the people that are already there in North America? We're just going to fucking steamroll them. And we did. So it, it is sort of, it's for you and I to say it and talk about like what, you know, movements and, you know, current movements and, or movements that are happening or moments in time that are happening now between discussion between you and I, probably not a big deal, but if you have like some, some uh, political demagogue talking about the right side of history, that's probably an issue. Okay, I definitely understand because their words are going to have more weight. They're going to have a higher platform. They have power, you know. Like yes. you and I could basically talk about whatever the, whatever the hell we want to, and it's just two guys talking, sure. you know. But um, until one of us has that platform, has that ability, has some kind of weight, you know, it's, it is right. It's just basically like not necessarily empty, but it's um. Well, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, everything is empty. I guess if I'm going to be one of those people for just a second, but um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you're you're entirely right that if um somebody does have like some kind of weight or whatever, that those words do carry more weight coming from them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And like the reason that I ask is like, you know, what I, we had talked like earlier this week, I did kind of have, and for you guys out there who don't know this, um, I originally had this kind of idea for this episode about the right side of history. And then pretty much through a couple of messages on Facebook, I think we basically did a whole episode what we could have covered in like a whole episode. And there wasn't, um, there wasn't like that much room for discussion. And so everything got totally changed around and I'm going to reveal the specifics of everything mm-hmm. after we do a shot of some five good minutes so why don't you go ahead and um take it away yeah um this is i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of continue my downer streak here a little bit um but uh so when we were growing up um we were when we were growing up like we were at the tail end of well especially when we were born um you know then through the 80s into the early 90s we were kind of like alive at the tail end of a lot of environmental movements um for various reasons right like it's it starts in the sixties. Obviously the burning of the Cuyahoga river is like one of the seminal moments that, that changes, um, American environmental policy for, for the better. Um, but like it, it really didn't get kicked off until like the seventies and into the eighties. So like we were kind of the first generation that's really grown up with a lot of environmental standards that are significantly higher than our parents. Um, and by the time we're, you know, adolescents, um, teenagers, roughly speaking, we've, the United States, the United States, and really all around the world, but the United States especially, uh, since we—that's where we live—did um, a did a pretty vigorous job of trying to erase the issue of acid rain. And acid rain is is uh, you know moisture in the air combined with like sulfuric sulfuric compounds, nitrous uh, nitrous oxide compounds uh, in the air from you know cars, factories, and things like that. Mixes in the air, makes the rain very acidic. It's terrible for forests, lakes, wildlife. It's it's awful, and we've. Even by the '90s, we had done a pretty good job of eradicating it. And as we as we speak, it's it's not the issue that it was like in the '60s and '70s at all. Um, however, we have gone and swapped acid rain with something that's we don't even know the impacts of yet, but it might be way worse. Um, I'm talking about microplastic rain. So everything 
everything in our world, just about, is covered or packaged or made with some kind of plastic type material. Our clothing, our microfiber clothing is made with plastics. You probably opened up a water bottle at some point today. You opened up a package of some of, of, I don't know, fruit, vegetables. It's covered in plastic. Plastic is fucking everywhere. It is so prevalent um, at, I gotta gotta pull up this website here because they they have some like specific numbers. It's so prevalent that in researchers, researchers um, monitoring 11 protected sites in the Western United States, um, you're talking like Joshua Tree, the Grand Canyon, uh, Bryce Canyon, some other, you know, some other protected areas, uh, other national parks, basically. Um, huge national parks is what we're talking about here. In these national parks, they found in the course of, I, I want to say this is under 18 months um, from like, I want to say this is from 2015 through like 2017. They found 1,000 metric tons of microplastics, which is... Which combined, which combined, make about 120 million plastic water bottles, um, in just these 11 areas, which accounts for six percent of the U.S. land. So, and that's just the microplastics they could see, um, white microplastics and clear micro microplastics they can't see because they're too small. They're, they they don't reflect any light. So it could that count could be twice as high. Um, it's so prevalent, and that's just from they that's just from the water. They also think that an additional, you know, several tons, you know, several hundred metric tons is being carried through the air in these areas every, every day, too. Um, we are literally washed in it. Uh, there's the problem is like this is such a more recent phenomenon within the last. I mean, we've had plastics for a long time, but like our single use plastic culture really doesn't get kicked off until like the 2000s. So we don't have any long term studies about like what the effects of this is. Um, but for certain, it, it, for certain plastics in certain environments and certain, certain ecosystems is not good. Um, additionally, we are also ingesting up to 52,000 microplastic particles a year. Um, this is based off of all the, like I said, like the packaging of your food, water bottle, whatever that rubs off onto your food or whatever. The, the scary thing about this is. Again, we don't we don't understand what the long term effects are. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe we just shit them all out. Nothing happens. But this was accounting for only fifteen percent of our calories. There's eighty five percent of our calories are still unknown in terms of how much microplastics we're getting in our system. So that count could be more like eighty to ninety or a hundred thousand microplastics every year. Point. The point I'm getting to is what like we are at a point in our in our society worldwide society. How in the world can we even possibly think to curb this? Yeah. So those numbers and the situation that you laid out there with it being basically everywhere, I don't even know how you can begin to curb something like that. I don't don't even know if you can. Like, are we just going to stop using plastic? Because there's absolutely no way in hell that that's going to happen. And even if we were to stop using plastic, who's to say that there's not enough of this already around to do some real damage or if there or something like that, the wheels in motion to do real damage. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just a very, you know, like we see, we see the things every day in the news, like where like a fish washes up or a whale washes up and it's just filled with plastic bottles and can containers and all kinds of other shit because like the fish don't know that it's not food. But again, imagine, you know, that this is just the, the, the plastic rain issue is just, again, from 6% of the U.S. land. And that's, you know, we don't we don't really know exactly where it all came from. Um, certainly, obviously, it's mostly from our, you know, from from the ecosystem of North America, obviously. 
but there's it could we don't know that if, that our shit isn't blowing all the way over to Europe. We don't know that they that our plastic shit is blowing into places in Africa that don't have nearly the plastic, uh, you know, n- nearly the prevalence of plastic um, in their environment that that we do. We don't know what harm it's causing worldwide. We literally have no idea, none. Yeah, and it could be forever before we actually know yes. what that is. It could be too late before we know what the uh, what the real damage is. Yeah, exactly. Well, Jesus fucking Christ, man. There's always something. If it's not, and you're right about the acid rain. You know, I hadn't heard about acid rain for forever. It, it, and, I mean, um, it still happens in places, but like that was like a thing in cities. That like you, you know, like that was a thing in like the early. You're talking like the 30s, 40s, when like every fucking major city was just a big belching factory, like that happened all the time and it's just not the same way anymore like you rarely hear about it yeah and i remember as a kid like acid rain was like the thing that you like fear the most you know that was like the environmental like thing that you really like scared the shit out of you and stuff and mm-hmm. i am telling you i i have not heard that term pro- in years actually <laughs> it's yeah. been a while since i've heard it so wow so yeah Amer- we're always dealing with something man this is people really got to wake up with this I, environment stuff i just assume and it you know kind of fit in with the with the idea of this of this entire episode as we're going to get into it like maybe we do correct this and mm-hmm. you know, down the road, and, and and however many decades from now, but like it's one of those things. It's like climate change. Are we already like way too late to even like get this, you know, get this uh, train back on the tracks? No, that that's right, and we'll only history will tell. Yep. You know, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so okay, well, yeah, that's so everybody out there. There's always something. Get on the right side of history with the environment, for sure. And uh, I mean that in the least Nazi as fascist way. <laughs> I don't. Possible. You know what? I will say this. How about the, like envi- pro environmental stuff? I think that is like a universal. Like we probably shouldn't abuse the only planet that we have to live on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that should be a universal thing, everybody. So for all you freaking environmentalist weird deniers or whatever it is, uh, yeah, you should get on the right. Get on the right side of this for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so. I'm going to uh, I'm going to kind of continue on a downer note because this week on Thursday, the sports world I think got some pretty shitty news, and that is the college football, um, the Big Ten, and the other schools I'm assuming will follow. Mm-hmm. I had the Pac the Pac-12, um, I believe, is following too. Uh, is a- going a- to... ACC as well. ACC as well. Oh, the ACC. They jumped on that train. <clears throat> okay, cool. So um, I'll tell you, they announced that they're going to all conference games, mm-hmm. and. Uh, now, some people out there just be like, oh, man, well, that's cool. They're only playing like teams in conference or whatever. Not a chance. The football wall is cracking. And yep. if there's ever been a point in time where I believe that not having football has been more realistic, it was done on Thursday. Because I'll tell you, the Ivy League schools, it's a little bit different with them in sports and everything. Like they have them. And I'm not saying that the Harvard football team isn't an important addition to tradition of Harvard. But it's definitely not the same as Ohio State or uh, USC, Oregon, like uh, all the big. It's just not the same. Definitely not the same. And I got to tell you, man, like um, I was kind of under the impression and I'm sure there's a lot of people who maybe thought the same way that I did. But time seemed to be really on football side. Like it seemed to be this one thing that. It's so far out into the future, you know, no matter what, like they're going to have things wrapped up by then. And I'll tell you, like uh, in May or so, when things seem to be calming down, I'm not going to lie. I kind of bought into that optimism a, a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. who wouldn't if when you're just being fed negativity for three straight months? Right. But the point is, is that um, I'm was kind of worried now, <laughs> you know, because I thought football was this kind of wall that couldn't be penetrated and. 
I actually thought that, you know, maybe at the most there would be like some just social distancing at the games and that would be it. But right now, uh, the season is definitely threatened. And the NFL is now talking about like tarping off sections of the stadium, bringing Mm -hmm. capacities down. I think the Vikings, the Jaguars and a couple other teams actually like made the announcements officially as to what their stadium capacities would be at. And the and the Browns. Um, gave their season ticket holders the option to opt out of the 2020 season, which I will tell you, I don't even think that they would do unless not having the season was entirely up in the air. And while I am still, you know, I'm hoping for the best here and stuff. I am definitely hoping for the best and I don't know how they're going to do it, but I'm going to hope for the best. But I will tell you that um, these kinds of things aren't done unless you know, unless the season's actually threatened. And also that um, I right now feeling that they know, I, mean, I, I hopefully this isn't the case, but I'm kind of feeling that everybody knows that in all reality, there might not be a season and they're just fighting or maybe releasing information, kind of stringing people along. So nobody just goes outright nuts. Cause I mm-hmm. can't even imagine like what the world would be like the day that they announced that there won't be any football. This that that could be a really dark day in this country. <laughs> it it really it really could be. And uh, are you? Uh, by the way, are you done there? I, I do. Have I am totally. Done. I am t- totally done, dude. <laughs> every every day that there's new news about football, like you know, they canceled the Hall of Fame game. Um, they they canceled two preseason games. Uh, every time there's something with, especially with pro football, um, I, I'm just like, ooh, that's not good. These are these aren't these aren't steps toward you know toward returning. These are steps in retreat, and mm-hmm. like you mentioned, like it's you know the Ivy League uh, before any other before any of the other um, uh, you know sports leagues in college before they um, you know they're like the first to, like just say we're not playing football we're not playing fall sports at all this year, um, and while it's not like a huge hit you know it's not the Big Ten it's not this giant cash cow. Um, it still has incredible tradition. They fucking invented football, the Ivy League. Right. They right. they've been playing football for like 160 years, um, in New Jersey and and Pennsylvania and in Connecticut. Um, you know, like they they invented football, so it's a big fucking deal in that area. When it's like, hey, we're not playing, we're not playing the sport that we invented um, this fall. They, they, there's talk about a spring league, and that'd be great. Um, you know, that'd be great, especially for you know, especially for like the I've said this before. There's so many, there's so many kids playing sports, be it high school, small college, whatever, and throw the Ivy League in there. Like, this is the last time they're going to play their sport. They're not going to go, you know, there's how, you know, one, one or two guys from the Ivy League go to play in the NFL for more than like a season. Right. (laughs) This is the last time they're going to play football. So it'd be good if they did get it in, but the Ivy League cancels the Big Ten. And like the, the reason why the Big Ten and the ACC and the and Pac-12, whatever, why, why they are, why they're going to this conference-only model, it gives them more wiggle room. They can push back this, you know, you, you cancel four out-of-conference games, that's four more weeks that you have to potentially wait um, mm-hmm. and see what happens. And if they had to, they could start the season, like, in October or middle of October if they had to. But you're right, like, as, as this goes on, like, the idea that, like, we, we talked about it, that like football had all this time to, to think about and do stuff. That time is fucking running out fast. The NFL is supposed to get back to training camp in two weeks. And That's I right. just don't see, I do not see how you can with certain mandates statewide with like the collection of, um, you know, like the, you know, like you can't have more than 10 people or 20 people in an area. 
that's that's the offensive and defensive line. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, how that's how are you going to practice? Yeah, I know. Yeah, that, that's right, dude. I'm telling you. And it's just it seemed like and even I'm not going to lie, like this isn't a slight at the people of the NFL. Those they're geniuses. They got they're doing whatever they can. But the virus is just too fucking much here. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's just it's too big of a threat. And um not to go two downers in a row, but I'm like, man, I'm embracing, I'm embracing for the idea that Sundays or Saturdays this fall might not have football on them. I'm getting ready for that. Yeah, I, I am. I'm prepared for the worst. I think that, I think that, um, you know, as as long as as long as baseball players follow suit, you know, because their sport inherently, like, the closest you're going to be to anyone is obviously, um, you know, your your batting, you know, batting batter, catcher, umpire. They're going to mm-hmm. be like the closest cluster of people at any point in time. Oh, and the dugouts, obviously, but they're going to, I've already heard they're going to like space out the dugouts. They're, you know, players are going to be sitting like in the first row um, yeah. to, 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 provide, to provide some more space. Um, and then obviously at first or third, you know, first or third base, you'll be near people, but not that near people. Um, like as basically as long as baseball players can keep their distance off the field in their off hours, as long as the NBA bubble actually does work, which we both have concerns and like, just, you know, I, I doubt that it's going to be even close to 90% effective, but, and, you know, and same with the NHL, as long as their bubbles are effective, like they can play. I don't know how you do that with football at all. Yep. I, I don't get it either. It's just, there's too many people. There's too many moving parts. It's football's just the most co- complex sport. It's the craziest one to run. There's just way too much staff and trainers and everything like that. Equipment, even the yep. fucking equipment and stuff. So, yep. um, I wish the NFL luck, but right now, um, this was the week where the Hall of Fame game. Yeah, I'll take it. Believe me, <laughs> get rid of the Hall of Fame game yeah. for this year. You know, uh, that's fine. That's fine with me. It's Canton or whatever. You know, they they will survive. They'll get it next year. But um, this, when college football starts to make these announcements, that just means a ball is rolling, and the ball that wasn't rolling before is now rolling. It's getting bigger, mm-hmm. so forth and so on. So. Um, Definitely done with that downer rant. Let's move into something a little bit more positive and everything. But um, yeah, I, we're both, it's, you know, we're going to open it up on a downer, but we're going to leave on a high note, hopefully. Yep. So, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> okay. So <clears throat> for the main discussion today, um, what we're going to be keeping in the theme is kind of like the thought experiment like we did with the last episode. But instead of being in the remix, we're going to do this, what I call in the year 2060. And I guess I was kind of maybe looking for a way to do like a current events episode because there's so much going on in the world, dude. Mm-hmm. There really is so much mm-hmm. going on that I kind of feel that some of the stuff needs to be talked about and everything. And while some things it maybe could be a whole episode later on down the road, but for right now, I thought a little bit of a mixed cocktail of current events, but doing it from the perspective of us in the year 2060, where you know, we're still doing the podcast. We're just hanging out at the bar, you know, kind of maybe just reflecting back on our lives and a series of randomly selected topics that are divided into five categories. And the five categories are science and technology, sports and entertainment, significant events, the political landscape, and something that I call changing perspectives, which will be the last uh, mm-hmm. section of the episode. And uh, each um, Category has got different questions. Some have more than others. It might take us a little bit longer or shorter to get through some of these topics, but I do feel that this is going to end up being a uh, pretty fun episode. So 
Okay, so let's do it. Let's jump right into science and technology. And the first category or the first subcategory of science and technology is social media and fake news headlines. So I just want to uh, ask you right off the bat, will the social media companies like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram have finally cracked down on the massive amounts of misleading and fake information that are all over our daily feeds? I, I do think so. I, I really do think so. But I, I don't think it's going to be like a voluntary process. Like Facebook and Twitter aren't one day, you know, Zuckerberg and Dorsey aren't one day going to just go like, you know what? I am tired of fake news coming across my, <laughs> uh, my company's, you know, my business's um, platform. They're going to be coerced, be it by, you know, we, we just recently had like all these companies boycott Facebook advertising. Um, we'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> when, right. I mean, like, yeah, you, you, you take a couple of months off, but you know, that there's like a billion people use Facebook. So there's right. a billion people that are going to see your ads. So we'll, we'll see if they really put their money where their mouth is, but it's going to be, it's going to be like a combination of um, government oversight of companies, you know, putting pressure on, on Twitter and Facebook. Um, probably I, what I think Chema's re what's really going to happen is that some of this false information is going to lead to like a high profile death or multiple deaths or something. And you're going to have a massive lawsuit that, that like is 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 undeniable by Facebook, and it's it's going to force them, not so much that like it's going to be like a monetary thing that like because Zuckerberg could buy an entire country if he wanted to, so it's right. it's not like a money thing, but like what's going to happen is you're going to have like a lawsuit that like forces Facebook to open up their books and like really look at the you know force let the government basically look at like the, what the inside of this company um, actually looks like and guarantee you not that Facebook is necessarily doing anything explicitly illegal but like some of their partners their tech partners you know that that's just a nightmare for them mm -hmm. to be exposed like that so i think it's going to be like a combination of a bunch of things that really like lock down that force these companies to like stop stop promoting bleach as a fucking cure for autism because it's not right 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 Exa exactly dude and i'm in i'm in like the same boat as you i i feel that it's going to be regulated in some way, shape, or form. And the way that it gets there is going to be a massive, massive day of reckoning for Facebook in general. And this could be anywhere from something like what you said, where they just basically gut the company and find out that there's all this crazy shit going on. And it could even be something like uh, Westworld season two, where they've been doing some real crazy shit to us that we mm -hmm. don't even know about. So I do think that there's going to be some kind of level of exposure and I didn't think about what you had said about information leading to like somebody's death and stuff like a high profile death like that when somebody hope high profile dies, th that's like a changer right there. Like yeah. that is the one thing that like calls attention to something. So I could definitely see something like that. And who knows, it could even be a celebrity that just loses their mind. And now they just get pulled into the fake news cycle and they become like almost like the equivalent of like a Kanye West type I, figure. I was going to say it, Kanye drinks bleach. To, yeah. Kanye. Yeah. To, to cure Because he says he had, he says he had coronavirus. Um, so like Kanye drinks bleach to cure coronavirus. Yeah. Something like that. Exactly. Dude. And that's a, a great guy to, um, to use as an example. So, Something is going to happen, and I'm telling you, I, I don't think that any of the measurements that they're talking about, like flagging something as misinformation, I don't think that that's good enough. But at the same time, I don't know if I could be for outright shutting these down because it's, it's free speech. Like, I don't know. I don't necessarily – because that's like this thing here where – the free speech definition has been so expanded and twisted and everything like that, where 
I am actually under the opinion that what they're doing is like not even really free speech. It's like harmful speech almost like yeah, that if there was yeah. there, if there was going to be a subcategory that they specifically created in the free speech outline, that would be something that I think that they could file into the negative. And I just think that at some point in time, something is going to burst. It's going to crack and it's going to be a major, major crazy event. And it could either be us being a completely misinformed or polarized society until that happens. But something is going to happen that forces some kind of regulation as far as the misinformation campaign with, with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all these social media platforms. Yep. Yep. It's I, I, yeah. I think, I think we're both hitting on the same thing. It's not going to be voluntary. Yeah, definitely not. No way in hell. And I saw this speech. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen made a speech that kind of at least had a viral yeah. moment where yes. I saw it and stuff. He made this great point about how, like, if this was the 30s, like, Facebook would have all Hitler's anti-Jewish propaganda and everything like that on there. And they would allow it. They would welcome it. And that there was something about the way that he put that, that just really kind of resonated with me. And mm -hmm. he's a hundred percent right. And it's, it's happening right now, but it's just not like Hitler's anti-Jewish propaganda. It's Mel from, it's Mel from Boca Raton's anti-Jewish propaganda. Right. Ex exactly. Exactly. So, um, and in 2060, like, do you think that you and I are still going to have Facebook pages? Yeah, I, I think so, but I think it's going to be, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and give all credit to Black Mirror on this one. Have you have you seen the Bryce Dallas Howard episode, Nosedive? I have not. Okay. I think it's going to be – I think we're going to have Facebook. Like, the, the social media is just so pervasive. I, I don't know how we're going to be able to escape it. I mean, unless people really do voluntarily just shut themselves off from everything. But in, in Nosedive, you have, like, a, you have like an online profile – Online is not even like the way to put it because like by this it's actually actually I think it's about the same time period I think it's supposed to be like 2060 South Africa or something like that, um, but um, uh, you don't really have like a page on board. There's no really online anymore. You just have a profile that follows you everywhere that people could check up on that has like a bunch of personal analytics between okay. um, you know your job, your um, you know your job, your house what your friends think of you, what you, what your friends, how your friends rate your clothing, how your friends rate your personality, the, the places that you've been invited to the places you eat. Like it's all goes into like an aggregate score that gives you like, sort of like, it, it, I guess personality analytics is what I'll call it. And, okay. um, in this particular episode, she's trying to inch her, uh, inch her, like her score up, her analytic score up. And I, I don't think it's going to be a scoring necessarily, but I have a feeling that Facebook is, you know, whatever Facebook becomes in the future, that it'll be, it'll be taking like personal analytics into account to sort of, to sort of set a profile around us. Okay. Okay. I definitely understand what you, I got to see that episode. I'm, I'm so on and off with Black Mirror. Like it's one of these things that there are episodes that I watch and it's like so goddamn genius. And then the other episodes I'm like, man, this is almost like too smart for me. And like, I just kind of feel really dumb because I'm, I'm not that smart. <laughs> I, 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 I haven't seen any of the last two seasons or that movie that they did that like choose your own adventure movie. Yep. Um, I really enjoyed it more when it was a bunch of, it was a bunch of weird stories with British theater actors that no one had ever heard of. I gotcha. I gotcha. No, I totally gotcha. And that is the unfortunate thing when stuff gets popular yeah. is that it has a tendency of losing its original flair. And I got to tell you, man, like 
I'm, I know that we are going to be in the social media landscape in some way, shape or form. And I'm going to describe what that looks like um, as part of just kind of like a segue into the next question or whatever. But um, I, I, if we actually have like Facebook pages, I, I almost feel that like what you and I's Facebook page, it's just going to be like an anchor. It's almost going to be like just something that we use to get set up, to get invited into like a, a more broad social media world, I guess, that will exist at this point in time in the future. And I guess I'm looking at something that is a little bit more like Ready Player One, but that at its most extreme. Like, yeah. I think like as far as, far as like our day-to-day use goes, I'm, I don't necessarily know if we're even like handheld phones are going to be around, but there's going to be some kind of like way to carry social media with us, whether it be a watch or holographic images displayed on stuff. But I do think that in time, and this is like just what I'll say for the next question is, um, I do think in time that these social media companies are going to start to build these like digital worlds like the Oasis and Ready Player One, which is I, or even if you want to go hard sci-fi, I'm sure that there's a better example. So I don't sound like a total mainstream loser, but um this is what we're going to be in where if you want, you could totally, you know, put on some goggles or the suit or whatever. And you yourself could be a part of like the Facebook digital universe where you could go to different places. You can meet different people or maybe just have it restricted where you're only hanging out with your friends in this digital space. But judging from what I have seen in TV recently, everybody seems to be leaning towards simulations and stuff. Like it seems like there's been this big push in sci-fi for the last like maybe 10 years or so where everything is a simulation or at least in some way, shape or form, there's this built virtual world. So that's, that's kind of where I'm seeing social media end up as far as like 40 years in the future. Dude, if we get Star Trek holodecks, I'm in. Oh, I'm fucking yes. in baby. Yeah. I don't care. I'm it, in. I am there 100%, dude. I I love the idea of just like having our second bedroom and you flick on a light switch and it's a series of different settings and there's people and stuff. And I'm not going to lie, that beginning se- sequence of, I think it's like Star Trek First Contact when they're in like the old like 1930s club or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Because he uses one of the guns to shoot the Borg in the, uh, in the end of the, or towards the end of the movie. Yep. Like that would, that would be awesome, dude. And you could just set it up for different movies or different books or something. I think that that would be fucking cool. Absolutely. If that, if that gets us closer to that reality, I'm all in. But yeah, no, I, I do think you're right. There's There has been an, uh, a very interesting push towards like full-blown simulations and things. Um, I, yeah, I, I just, whatever whatever Facebook, whatever social media looks like in the future, it's going to be so ubiquitous that we don't really like even see it necessarily. Like it's, we're I not gotcha. going to lo- sit down and log on to something. Yeah, I got you. It's going to be like so interactive and integrated in us and everything. I definitely understand what you're yeah. saying. And I'm, Kind of scared about that, but we'll see. It could be cool. Yeah, it could be a great thing. Could be a terrible. I mean, you know, like uh, just the same the same way that people react to everything. You know, in, in like new 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 things. Like I think we talked really briefly about the the Cybertruck. I I don't like the way it looks. I think it's a fucking giant angular eyesore. But mm-hmm. you know, like the first the first things of its kind are always sort of um, jarring and divisive. Yeah. Right. If, if it leads to more, you know, if, it, if, if the Cybertruck leads to more electric trucks, electric SUVs, and reduces our carbon footprint, who cares? Yeah, that's true, man. That's very, very true. And from what I've seen in sci-fi movies where everything is great, the cars look a little weird, but hey, their planet's healthy and everybody seems to be having a good time. Exactly, so. exactly. <laughs> 
So, man, so, okay. So let's get into, um, let's dabble into the environment here. And we had that great um, five good minutes about the plastic rain, which pleased everybody. Like, like I said, the episode is going to get more enlightening from here. Um, actually, probably not for this section, but uh, anyway, <laughs> with, um, so will a, in the year 2060, will a substantial percentage of the public have embraced the notion of climate change and society is more engaged and will society be more engaged in addressing this crisis? I unequivocally, yes. Um, and it's unequivocally, yes. And it's going to be kind of uh, like, I mean, there are climate deniers and, and climate change deniers and people everywhere, anti-science people all over the country, all over the world, excuse me. But like, there's a real particular American phenomenon with climate deniers in our country. I mean, like you can run an entire political platform on it. Um, but, and obviously like certain businesses really embrace it. Uh, you know, any, any business that's spewing CO2 into the air, um, will go ahead and, um, and jump on the side of like anti anti-climate science. But at some point in time, let's just focus on the U S here. Even though this is a worldwide problem at some point in time, like these Republican stronghold States, like, Florida, like Georgia, um, even even some purplish states like Virginia and Maryland, um, they're going to start disappearing into the ocean in the next 40 years. And they mm -hmm. will have zero choice but to confront the reality that the environment is kicking the shit out of us for everything that we've done to it. See, okay, I will basically say that you're that's exactly where I'm going with this. Um, and I'm going to ask just as a follow up, because yeah. uh do you what is like that do you have a specific catastrophic event that's going to take place or is it just going to be they're all going into the ocean no there's you know this takes so long i mean think about it this way we what three years ago now texas florida and, and puerto rico got clobbered by three consecutive 500 year hurricanes um right. and it didn't really do anything to change anyone's mind about it um the 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 hurricane was it harvey in, in houston it was yes yes harvey a couple years houston. ago yes yeah um, it dropped enough rain that it lowered the entire city of Houston over an inch in the ground. Right. So, like, I mean, an entire massive metropolitan city, this humongous city, sunk an inch into the ground because of the rain that dropped on it for a weekend. Or, like, four yep. days, five days, whatever it was. Um, so, like, but that really hasn't changed anyone's minds yet. So it's, it's, it's not going to be one event. It's just going to be... It's going to be decades and... De I mean coastline in virginia and and maryland like that that um you know the chesapeake bay mm -hmm. it's disappearing rapidly rapidly mm -hmm. and in we're talking 40 years that there might be whole towns towns on the virginia coast and the maryland coast that are gone that are just totally gone and at that point like are you going to deny that the ocean came up and swallowed your house i, I mean <laughs> you can't like it's gone it happened so you know like it, it's it's a really interesting phenomenon even even in some like dark red coastal states, there are um, congressmen who are you know who are also uh, Republicans who are also you know conserv you know deep red conservatives who have a client who have a climate agenda that is pro climate you know that is believes the climate science because they have to be they have no choice right. because their communities are disappearing. Yep, and I'll tell you like my my specifics because I, I took it all the way down the East Coast, dude, and like starting with everything basically being swallowed up by the ocean, which if I'm not mistaken actually happens in the Bible. So in some way, I think they they might be right on that where yeah. the sea kind of revolts. But um, I'm telling you, the um, when it comes to the Carolinas, Georgia, Florida, these beaches are going to by the time 2060 happens, we are going to see hard evidence 
that of these beaches being eradicated and stuff like that. And I think Florida and definitely South Carolina are going to fight the good fight where for a while they're sinking a ton of money every year for like maybe five to 10 years in a row where they're restoring the beaches, you know, like Mm -hmm. just basically putting in sand or turning parking lots into the beach area because the water has come up so close. But at some point in time, they're just going to outright lose this war and whatever they're going to keep building onto the beach. The water's just going to keep coming further and further and further. And areas like South Beach or Ocean City, Maryland, or like, what is it down in South Carolina, Myrtle Beach? Um, these areas are going to be the boardwalk will just be no more beach. It'll just be the boardwalk and then water pretty much yeah. and, and uh, by the time 2060 happens. And I do think that um, when it comes to the hurricanes in Florida, they – Florida, obviously being the one of the weirdest states in the union, if not the weirdest, they have this really weird thing with hurricanes, dude. It's like not to say that they enjoy it, but it's almost like this kind of thing that they feel is like so specific to them. And when I lived in Florida, I remember hearing about like what they call hurricane parties, mm-hmm. which people would have um, a couple of days before the hurricane because the skies were like perfectly clear and like the weather was awesome. And then they'd go get, you know, they go party and get drunk and then basically just be hung over in their house while the hurricane passes through. So there is something inherent about hurricanes in Florida that I don't, I don't know if they enjoy it or if it's just something that they embrace and deal with like Ohio in winter. But what's going to happen with the hurricanes is that it's going to hit like Alabama or Mississippi and not just like the coastline where all the party stuff is, but it's going to go inland and do some real, real damage. And I hate to be the guy that says this, but the only way that this kind of societal awakening when it comes to the environment, that the only way it's going to happen is through catastrophe. I I hate to say it. I really hate to say it, but that's kind of the only way that certain people who don't get on this train, that's the only way that they're going to jump on the bandwagon. So uh, when it's going to happen, I have absolutely no idea, but I do know that at some point in time it will. And that is going to basically shift the entire argument in the favor of science, which it should be there now, but it's not. And, um, and we're going to actually see people doing a real, real engaging as far as to address the crisis by the time 2060 happens. That's, that's what I feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and you're hundred percent, dude, you're hundred percent right. Um, and it's not just like, it's not just a coastal problem. Like we, this past, you know, in 2019, um, we just had like the Midwest had an unusually horribly wet, horribly wet, uh, spring and summer that completely killed the growing season. And yeah. it, it like, you know, like you even have, um, rural farmers in like Iowa, Nebraska, um, Colorado and, and, you know, like the middle States that are definitely like Colorado, it's a weird, it's a purple state, I guess. Um, but like most of the states, you know, throughout the Midwest are definitely like a, a pretty, a pretty decent shade of red. And mm-hmm. you even have those farmers that like, okay, like we can't have our livelihood destroyed. So like we, you know, we got to do something about this. If, if, if it means going green, then fine. But like, we can't, you know, all it takes to end like a family farm that's been around for like, you know, 50 years, a hundred years, you just two bad seasons back to back and you can end a family farm just like that. That's right, dude. I've, I remember when this stuff was kind of going on and it was the stories about this were being reported on by NBR out here at the course of the last year mm-hmm. or so. And uh, I got to tell you, man, like 
that is 100% the case. And like, I didn't even think about the whole Midwest and the growing season because all the money is on the sexy hurricanes that are coming to shore and stuff with the news. But, um, that's right. Like one or two growing seasons that can end farms that could cause a major, major rift in the supply chain. Also the prices of food, everything. So this is definitely a real issue and it's getting closer and closer to these states that maybe thought that they were right. um, like protected from it or mm-hmm. whatever, kind of like the way that the coronavirus is. I mean, <laughs> yeah, is right I, I mean you know, like, like in Ohio, you don't really, you know, like just for Ohio, for example, you don't really think about it, like the effects that climate change has necessarily. Um, but you go up like the, like the Eastern coastline of, of Lake Erie, like are, are all those communities up there in one year, they've lost 35 feet of coastline. Holy shit. Yeah. It's, it's gone. Wow. I mean, yeah. the, the Great Lakes are usually kind of, I don't want to say they're like exempt from like the, the effects of climate change because they're obviously not. But like it's it's much it's much more it's much different because it's such even when you take the Great Lakes and group them together, it's still comparative to the ocean, just a drop in the bucket. But mm-hmm. now we're seeing what prolonged we're seeing, uh, you know, at least here in, in this area, we're seeing what prolonged, um, you know, prolonged storm seasons does to your coastline. And those prolonged storm seasons are happening because of climate change. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, where my dad lives up there, you could definitely see evidence of disappearing coastline. Like where he's at in the lake, there's there's not a beach. It's just like the water just kind of comes up to the yeah. land or whatever. But like the water like hugs the land. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like it's almost we're talking like a couple more years and people are going to be losing some backyard space. You know what I'm saying? That's it's not like Edgewater where they got some room to spare, but like in time, like where he's at is going to be submerged. Yeah. They, my, um, my aunt lives in a cottage in Vermilion, like basically like you could see Cedar point from, from the cottage. Mm-hmm. And my dad was up there. My dad was up there recently for, uh, for a funeral. Like I think maybe in November it was November, October, November, sometime, you know, sometime there last year. But, um, Point being, um, you know, they went to they went down to the beach, and my dad was just like, "You remember the remember the beach that we used to hang out in every summer? It is almost gone. Like it's it's just not there. Like there's a big like there's a big concrete pier. That pier is like mm-hmm. almost entirely covered in water now. It's just gone. <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude! I'm telling you, man, it'll be happening before we know it. You know what I'm yep. saying? There's a there's a solid chance that like. If you were to ever like, you know, take a nostalgic troll one a stroll one day when you're going uh, up to Vermilion, you want to stop by there. There's a solid chance that by the next time you do that, that pier could be like, you know, you're just basically looking at a couple pegs of wood sticking right. out of the water and right. stuff. Yeah, I'm telling you, man, it's crazy shit, dude. We got to get this. Is, yep, we got people get on the right side of the of the climate and everything and climate science for sure. Yeah. So now, because we're gonna continue here with um kind of like the whole science-y type thing in this war and all this stuff and, you know, differing viewpoints. But do you think that in 40 years, science is going to be more or less politicized? I, you know, I think, I think it'll be less politicized. Um, I'm glad you, I'm glad you didn't like say, well, will the war in science be, you know, over? We'll, we'll have ended because it'll never, <laughs> no, ever no. end. As long as you can run a political platform and, a, and, and even like a private a, you know, business platform, that's anti-science, someone will take up that, that platform. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it'll be less politicized in 40 years. I think, uh, you know, going back to, going back to the sort of like cleansing of fake news and social media platforms. Plus there are a lot of businesses that are like taking up, you know, big businesses that are taking up the, um, you know, going green charge uh, between Amazon. Um, I want to say, I want to say Apple's doing something to go greener. But a lot of companies on their own are, are making are trying to make this change. 
that it's just going to be so commonplace to you know reduce reuse recycle to you know solar panels and houses out in california uh, doesn't every house have to be have solar panels by 2050 it's every, every like new that. house every new house yeah it's something like that there's like um what they do is they basically set a year and anybody after a certain year you have to do it and and i'm telling you man they got solar panel farms in the desert that yep. are massive do they it almost looks like it's like 10 square miles of like nothing but solar yep. panels and stuff for sure so yeah that, that it's going to be so commonplace that like people again it's just like people are just going to have to accept it that like mm-hmm. this is where we're going like and and the only way that we're going to get there the only way we're gonna the only way we're gonna advance is to use science to get us there. Yeah, exactly. And I'm in kind of following like what I had said in the last like uh, thing with the environment. Like I do, as I believe that there will be less climate change deniers. I do believe that science will be less politicized. And and you, it all. What, I'm using the environment here. Like the environment is going to be the thing that wakes people up. That eventually politicizes science in a less overt way, I guess you're right. There's always going to be science deniers. There's going to be climate change deniers, everything deniers, vaccines, all that stuff until the end of time. That's There's no getting rid of that whatsoever. But I do believe that um, in 40 years, science is going to be less politicized. But however, in the next 20 years, so the first half of the 40-year span that we've designated for the episode – Science is going to be fighting the war of its goddamn lifetime, and it's going to be fighting this war primarily because we're going to be seeing conservatism. We're going to be seeing the Republican Party, at least my own view. I think we're going to be seeing some splitting. We might not even have a Republican Party in 40 years, but this conservative um, this conservative mindset that in all reality I feel is dying a slow death, but it's the slowest possible death imaginable they are going to go to war with science like you would not believe. And even if even if things change for the favor of the Democrats in November, what is going like the I'm hoping that like some of the Trumpian mentality and denying of science or whatever, I'm hoping that that immediately phases out. But I just had this feeling that they are going to carry that and it's going to they're going to use everything against uh, the, the Democrats to try to like keep this like Trump dream alive. And as soon as that dies out, that is when science is going to be less politicized. Yeah, I, I well, I, I think that we're at such a tipping point right now that as soon as a vaccine is found, all of a sudden everyone's going to believe in science again. <laughs> Dude, if that is the thing that does it, I'm all for it. Fine, like, I'm, mean, fine. We're, we're, I'm fine. Yeah, I, I'm okay with that, too. You know, like my uh, my buddy, um, my buddy Lonnie, who lives in Twinsburg, he um, in recent years has really embraced like how how wrong this is that they're going to war with science and stuff and he sends all these like just basically posts like a, a meme or something like that every couple of days of just somebody being anti-science and they try to get humor out of it and i am telling you like if that is the one thing in the world where somebody's just like okay science is really doing something here for us that gets that gets everybody on the bandwagon i am definitely all for it which which is kind of like why i wrote the, the second question here and I do feel that like the scientific community, like they've kind of like taken a loss as far as some numbers go, like, you know, obviously with the, the political climate, the way that it is. Mm-hmm. But if, if science was going to do like like one stupid thing to kind of get some of these people back, not that they have to. I mean, these people are idiots for turning down science to begin with. But other than like the coronavirus, what do you think of or the vaccine? What do you think it might be that science does that really gets some of these people back on their side? Honestly, Chama, they don't. They let they let this generation die, and then you try to reach you try to reach younger generations who are more open to ideas. 
generations that have grown up using computers and understanding science and tech and um, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we, we've made a big push in the last like 10 to 15 years um, in schools to push uh, STEM, uh, STEM education, STEM jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and those kids are inherently just going to be more open to the realities of what science is. Um, mm-hmm. You make a bigger investment in them and then let all the other people die. I got I mean, you. Realistically speaking, that's how that's how like big ideas kind of gain traction and gain, uh, <coughs> excuse me, gain acceptance over the years. It's it, it. We want to like think that like overnight, like certain movements, you know, like civil rights movements and things, just like happened overnight. The reality is, they took a long time, and the people that were against them mostly died. Yeah, I got you. No, dude, I definitely understand what you're saying. Like that, um, the civil rights thing was not one night and one document or something like that. Right. This was a, pro- a process, a definite process. And you know something, I think that you're hitting something that is so on the head when it just comes to the future generations and a more embracing of technology. And uh, some of the young people that I do know, which is a very, very limited sample size, some of them that I do know are very, very embracing of the scientific community, almost like in ways that it kind of just like reminded me like when I was younger and stuff and going through school and you're learning all this cool stuff about science, but they're like in their twenties and they're not blinded by this shit. So I do have like a little bit of optimism in that regard. However, I am for this answer. I'm going to send some of these like idiot science deniers. I'm going to give them a consolation prize. And in the next little bit of time, the scientific community is going to develop a version of Bud Light that is like 15% alcohol, that is zero calories, that provides <laughs> no hangover. And as soon as that they, as soon as this thing hits the market, this will be one of the first steps that into making the world look like J.J. Abrams of Star Trek. They need, I, there's something, something little <laughs> like that to get people on their side. I am, I am buying this beer tomorrow. Uh, to quite frankly, if, if that's the case, I, I'll tell you, like we had that Bud Light seltzer. It was pretty freaking good. So I'll, I'll try a 15% uh, Bud Light with no hangover in the morning. Absolutely. I'll gladly try that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I am, I am, I realized today that I am significantly more pro seltzer than I thought I ever would be. And, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what the what the trick is. Use the seltzer as a mixer in a mixed drink. That's what Jess does, and that's, it's, that's it's a whole different thing. Yeah, yeah, you bet, dude. It actually makes. I'm not really much of a vodka person, but adding the seltzers to like vodka or even yep. like bourbon, bleed to bourbon and some of that stuff, it's it's a whole different thing with mixed drinks. It, it definitely is, yep. and you're almost getting like two drinks, dude. I mean, it's well, you know, it's it's almost like it's replacing like a liqueur. Right, like a low, yeah. like a low alcohol liqueur with just something you know bubbly and a little bit more. In some cases, like fruity or whatever. I, yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, the, the lime, lime white claw with gin, that's the fucking business right there. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. I think we have a bottle of gin somewhere. I'll yeah. keep that in mind because, like, yeah, I'm buying a white. I'm basically have. I think we've sampled just about all the seltzers and stuff, and I think white claw might be next in our uh, rotation. For sure, for sure. They, <laughs> um, pl- it, it, I would also recommend finding some like locals. Local breweries that make them, or you know, distilleries yep. that make them. Um, yeah. Platform started making them, and there's like a couple that are definitely misses, but they're mm-hmm. really interesting uh, seltzers. Like they have very interesting taste and like flavor profiles to them. Yeah, I can only imagine what the uh, microbreweries and stuff like that are doing with this shit because Platform made some phenomenal, phenomenal beverages uh, yep. when I when I was living in Cleveland. Yep. <laughs> So with the next section here, this would be the um, the last one of the uh, the science and technology section. It's called Love and Robots. And I want to ask you, like, just basically straight up is, will something like Westworld exist in 2060? No. We're, we're okay. pretty far away from that. Um, it, it Like, robots can barely walk on their own right now. 
So mm-hmm. like in the next 40 years, no, we're, we're, we're not close to that yet. Okay. I'm, I'm basically, I'm flat out with that too. I don't think Westworld is 40 years away. It, I, I basically have it set for 140 years away. That's much um, more just, realistic. Yeah. And I don't, I don't even know if that's going to happen by that point in time, but I, I do um, by 2060, Robots are definitely going to be integrated into entertainment more. Mm-hmm. And if I was going to give like just a, a movie reference of something that I do think is going to be real, um, that movie Real Steel with Hugh Jackman and Hugh Jackman and the yeah. uh, boxing robots and stuff. Um, I haven't seen it. Um, honestly, I wasn't really that impressed with the trailer, but I've heard mixed opinions on this movie. So who knows? I might check it out. But it, if, it's, um, a good, it's a good Saturday afternoon, a little bit hungover time waster. Okay. Okay. Good stuff. Good stuff. And that's, that's what I see. Boxing robots like that by 2060, we will have not just like slow arm reaching punching, but I think we'll have like a full combat sports, like robot league or whatever. So that's, um, that is what I think to be the most reasonable. Like we are so far away from even like, not just like Bernard and Dolores, but we're so far away from even like the giant white robots with the blank faces and stuff that kind of build the other hosts and yeah. stuff. We're, we're, we're so far away from that. It's, um, it's not even funny. <laughs> um, so with, um, okay. So the last, uh, okay, I'm sorry. Hold on one second. Okay. So in question number two is, um, now the, here comes the love part. Are people going to be in serious relationships with their technology? Like Joaquin Phoenix and her by 2060? I, yes, but I'm going to sort of erase the idea of her. From okay. it. But I but I think I think that that movie is on to something um, it, something very particular. And okay. so we already have I really recommend this uh, this one podcast called Flash Forward um, okay. by this uh, uh, this entertainment or not entertainment, this uh, tech journalist, uh, Rose Eveleth. Um, uh, it basically looks at, it basically looks it, her whole podcast is what we're doing right now. It okay. looks at possible futures. Some of them are 10, 15 years in the future. Some of them are like two, 300 years in the future, but possible futures based off technology that we have now. And there's this one really interesting episode about, um, about life after death via, via computer systems. Mm-hmm. And there are already, we already have some like really, we already have some really like, um, uh, sophisticated chat bots that we can talk mm-hmm. to that you and I could log onto on a website right now and talk to, but yeah, she was talking to these engineers who used um, who use a uh, recurrent neural networks or learning networks in combination with um, you know pre-recorded voice you know voice patterns and stuff from people, and mm-hmm. they can get these people to, they can get they can essentially make chatbots that sound and have that sound like your loved ones. So like if yeah. you're you know you're you know someone in your family dies. The theory being that with enough pre-recorded information, um, you know, with enough, uh, you know, getting enough of their like vocal sample, and you know, possibly, you know, having, you know, record, it would be really helpful to record long conversations with them, so you just mm-hmm. get more, so the so the learning network could get more information about uh, potential responses and you know how to how to how to better replicate what this person is like. That you could essentially have. Uh, in your hand, a, a recurrent a, a learning network that looks like someone, that sounds like someone, that talks like someone, that has the thoughts of someone that you can talk to. Yep. 
See, I had something like that too. And I, I took it even to a further extreme where there's an app and people are just basically communicating with a screen and there's another person on the yep. other side. But that would be the very, very first step into what would be the final product, which is you, which is what you had just mentioned. And that like, that is so close or like so realistic to me that I feel we'll have something like that within like 10 or 15 years or so, like where you could maybe just take your tablet to a restaurant and, put it across from you and you are having a sort of like dinner conversation with it could be anybody dude i mean you could have yep. like they could license celebrity faces for this whole thing and that, everybody's dating brad pitt all of a sudden yeah <laughs> that's where that was like my second that was like my second scenario that was like my two scenarios were that you you and i could like um you know let's just like like say tragically you know let's, let's not use you or not just use a person like tragically their wife dies um, they would then, you know, with permission, hopefully with, with, uh, like family's permission, they would, you know, take, you know, take their entire online profile, sound clips, um, you know, images, and they would supply it to a company, you know, that, that would then use this information and their uh, recurrent neural network to sort of build a near, you know, a near, you know, as close as they can, a projection of this person that you could, you want to have a phone call with this person, you could, you know, open up your app and like talk to them again. And yeah, then I, I gotcha. And then the other one would be like where, yes, you and I could license out um, someone who looks and sounds like, uh, you know, whoever, you know, maybe we're, we're those like neck beards in the Lonely Hearts Club. And mm -hmm. I, I want I want my um, I want to have a conversation every night with who's who's like a fucking like a nerd wet, wet dream right now. Oh, uh, Thomas Middletich or Ben Sch or uh, Ben Schwartz or no, whatever no, no, like, like those guys. Um, like Daisy Ridley. Oh, okay, yeah, Daisy Ridley. Yeah, that's a good example. I'd have, yeah. Adam I'd have Daisy Ridley Adam Driver speaking and talking to me. <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, and like I feel that um, what what they were going for with her, I that's somewhere in the the world's timeline. I I don't know if technology will be that advanced yet to where it's a um. To where it's just like the voice and the pocket and stuff like that. There's something about that that I'm seeing is being too far um, technology-wise for 2060. And I, they're definitely not taking robots and stuff like that to dinner by 2060. So some kind of face, digital face kind of thing that you view and looks at you and converses with you. That That's where I see yeah. it in the, the, by our lifetime anyway, right, for sure. Right, right, exactly. And it'll be oh. – there. and actually there is a Black Mirror episode where um... – uh, who the fuck's in it? I want to say it's like it's like two pretty. It's Dom Hill Gleason and Haley Atwell, uh, where he dies in like a car accident or something, and it's um, someone sends someone sends her. It's it it is like a full blown like Westworld kind of deal where they have using his like social media profile, his personal analytics. They like recreate him in a body. Okay. In in like okay. a in a faux body, and like he more or less is. Um, I forgot the character's name that he put that Dom Gleason plays, but he's more or less him, but obviously not him in many ways. I gotcha. Yeah, and I'm telling you, I'm I'm on the Dom Gleason bandwagon. Like I, after just seeing knowing him originally from being General Hux, I've seen him in some supporting roles and stuff like that throughout the course of the last five or six years. I'm on this guy's bandwagon. I'm rooting for him all the way. Dude. There are a thousand the man, Gleasons, so. by the way. Yeah, I tell you, they just love to breed up there, man. Drink Scott, drink whiskey, and breed. It's he's well, he's Brendan Gleeson's son, one of his sons, and all of them act. Yeah, yeah. all like eighteen thousand of them act. 
Oh, I believe it, man. Like Brendan Gleeson is such a powerful dude. He probably sat them all down and it's like, okay, this is what you guys are doing. No sports, no cooking. You're <laughs> all going to be actors. You're all going to be like me. And uh, whoever gets to be as big, he probably has like a thing where they all fight each other or something. And he's really like the undefeated champion. And at one point in time, he's waiting to be un- unseated, unseated to be the by, next. Unseated by Don Hall or what's what's the other prominent one's name? They're like there's two that are like prominent. I don't know. I can't remember um, the other one's name, but they, yeah. But I mean, Dom Hall is, you know, between Harry Potter and fucking Star Wars, he's uh, he's pretty goddamn famous. Is it the no, not Steve? Okay, never mind. I just googled Gleason kids, and basically a whole bunch of Gleason yeah. art articles. No, they're probably all related like to Dom to, to Brendan. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And they're probably all like just big, uh, big, just redhead, big burly redheaded, like yeah, redhead men, yeah. So, okay, so we're going to round out the uh, the science and technology section. We're going to jump into sports and entertainment, something that you and I do talk extensively about here on the podcast, even though we finally talked sports for the first time uh, two episodes ago. So in the year 2060, how will history remember Colin Kaepernick and also the kneeling during the national anthem kind of movement? They're going to remember him as someone who clearly was blackballed. Um, that like, it's going to be a textbook case. It's going to be a textbook case of what, of what blackballing looks like. It's going to be in the fucking dictionary. Um, Colin Kaepernick's face. And then right next to him, Roger Goodell's face. Um, mm-hmm. but also we're going to like, it, it, I think we're going to see him, not necessarily the kneeling aspect of it, but the fact that he unrelented from this position and did lose, lose a, a very lucrative career over it. Um, that like we are going to see him as a very heroic figure, um, you know. That's assuming that it's assuming that uh, certain conservative ideals don't don't take root, um, which I don't think I just don't think they will, uh, because you know attitudes on Colin Kaepernick have changed drastically, and they've changed drastically because of what's happened the last few months. And if if we are intent on changing, if we are intent on changing the conversation about about police brutality and, um, you know, and, and black civil rights and civil rights in general, then Colin Kaepernick has to be, has to be a part of that, uh, conversation. And we will be seeing him on the quote unquote right side of this, uh, this particular issue. Of course. Yeah. Colin Kaepernick, you're definitely right about the, the, the blackballing and stuff like that. I feel that some part of football is going to be a role in the Colin Kaepernick story. But he's he's such a younger guy and he's such a such a figurehead for this movement that when 2060 rolls around, like I almost feel that like when we go to talk about Colin Kaepernick, it'll be like one paragraph about football stuff and then yes. like five paragraphs about everything else that he's done I, because there's good he's it seems like he's got so much stuff lined up that hasn't even happened yet he's yes. just lined up to do it. I, I don't want to make the direct comparison um, because he he wasn't at nearly as great at his sport as Muhammad Ali, but like the story of Muhammad Ali, obviously, you know, you could call him the greatest pound for pound, the greatest boxer of all time, but who was a civil rights activist more so even than a boxer, um, who, who, you know, as a pacifist, um, skipped out on Vietnam and lost all of his titles as, as a result of that. Yeah, I got I definitely understand what you're saying here. Like if and I actually think that if Colin Kaepernick was like like Joe Montana, for example, like yeah. this big super megastar quarterback, 
Um, number one, well, number one, like this issue would be, it would be just, I think way bigger than it already is. Yes, if it, it could be. be any bigger, I don't, I don't know if that sounds right or not, but, um, and I don't necessarily know. I, I don't know if he would be treated the same. I'm still thinking, I can't decide if, um, the, I, cause I don't really believe that the San Francisco 49ers would just say, screw you next Joe Montana and throw him to the, throw him to the curb. But there would be something there, and I just don't know what it would be. But when when it all is all said and done, I do think that Colin Kaepernick is going to be remembered way more for his um, off the field contributions, and he even was a part of it. The Super Bowl, um, he took San Francisco to the Super Bowl. Almost if I'm won not it. mistaken. Yeah, almost, almost won, won it. it too. Yeah, yeah. So um, I I think that that part is going to be acknowledged about him, about the, the mythos of Colin Kaepernick. But I don't necessarily think that that is going to be in the foreground um, forty years from now. No, but, I I would. You're right. His story is going to be one of civil civil rights. Oh, and by the way, he was a he had a period there where he was a pretty good football player. Right, right, exactly. Where, where do you think the NFL, like with this particular issue, like in forty years, how are they going to be remembered? You know, the NFL, it's such a it's it's such a monolith. I think the NFL comes out squeaky clean, but Roger Goodell does not. Um, I gotcha. And I understand yeah. that. I mean, I guess I don't know. Maybe some I don't think some people understand this, but Roger Goodell is the employee of the owners. Mm-hmm. Like his his job is to answer to the owners, um, which really means his job is to answer to like uh, his job is to answer to Jerry Jones uh, the, the Rooney family and the Mara family basically is his job. But, um, he is the, he's the one who was out front that could have, that could have had these conversations with Jerry Jones. I'm sure the Rooney's weren't, I'm sure the Rooney's would have considered signing, um, would have considered signing a Kaepernick if it made sense. They've, they've always been sort of at the forefront in terms of like, I mean, it's called the Rooney rule about hiring black coaches. It's named right. after the late Dan Rooney. Um, they've always been sort of at the forefront of trying to advance the, you know, advance the, the, the NFL in a positive direction. Um, but you, Goodell could have had these conversations with ownership if he wanted to. And I don't think he wanted to. Yeah, I think that he was one of these guys like he himself could have shown a lot more leadership. And that's why he's not going to come out squeaky clean out of yeah. this whole thing. But I, I do believe that the NFL, you're right, it's so powerful, it's got such a platform, it's got such a presence that, like, they're already figuring out, like, when the right time to, like, really, like, get behind. So they've already made the initial announcement that, like, you know, they support the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. This whole, you know, I don't necessarily know if they've directly contradicted what Trump says about the flag and all this stuff. I, I don't necessarily know if they, that's they've, been out there. They've, they've only contradicted him on on supporting their players. Okay. Because like, he okay. came out and took shots. Obviously, Kaepernick took shots at Drew Brees recently. Um, yeah. They've they've taken they've basically said like, no, we stand with our players. Without saying fuck you, Trump, they just said we stand with their players. I gotcha. And whenever the whenever the movement, because I don't even I personally don't believe it's reached its peak popularity yet. If, if that's I know it's in, it's all over the place right yeah. now, but I still think it could be more popular at some point in time when the black lives matter and civil rights really start to hit like hit the mainstream and peak popularity. That's when they're going to jump on it. And all of a sudden it'll be like, Oh, we were like this the whole time. You know what I'm saying? In all reality, it was Roger Goodell who didn't do anything, but we were the ones who were on the right side. Oh, he's going to get thrown under, he's going to get paid a lot of money to get thrown under a bus in, in decades to come. 
yeah, I, I think that is going to happen very, very, very soon. And the more that this movement starts to gain momentum, and believe me, we they've just announced the like that they support the players. We haven't even seen the footage of these players in the games yet and everything like that. There's still a lot for us to see when it comes to how this movement is going to um, be integrated with the NFL and stuff. And whenever the time is right, the the league itself is going to jump on this, whether Jerry Jones likes it or not, or whoever these racist idiots or whoever, whatever it is, it's not going to matter anymore. And at that point in time, they're going to move into the foreground and Roger Goodell is going to have one of those like silent, Hey, by the way, here's some money. You go away and we're going to appoint like uh, the rock, for example, to be the commissioner of the football NFL. That'd be hilarious. Now <clears throat> what I think is going to happen and it's going to be amazingly hypocritical in the future. The NFL is going to do some kind of like honor honorific thing for Colin Kaepernick at, at mm-hmm. some point in time, like an NFL, like the NFL honors awards or whatever. They're going to do like yeah. a whole thing for him and it's going to be, and it's going to be sooner rather than later. And it's going to, some people, I mean, okay, fine. Like I'm not against this, but it's just, it's one of those things that's going to smack of hypocrisy. Yeah, of course. Of course. And like, it's going to be one of these deals that, um, the less educated or something like that is going to get on this train and be like, yeah, this is so great. But people who have read the fine lines are going to look at it as more of like a hypocrisy. Didn't didn't forget how you basically made sure that he didn't get a job ever again. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Didn't forget about that. (laughs) But, but now they're embracing it. So everything is cool. Forget all the stuff that they could have done. And and you know what? And I I would bet, I'm no, I I know this, that Kaepernick would gladly lose his job if it meant an entity like the NFL was actually um, using its influence and power as an agent of change. Yeah. Oh, I, I completely agree with you. That guy would be the first person to uh, retire, to step down for, yeah. for fucking sure. So let's get into another very popular sports uh, sports figure right now. And this is LeBron James. And dude, LeBron's done so much already. Like this guy, like, I mean, what else could he really, really do? Which is what I want to ask you. So like, you know, what has LeBron done other, like maybe not, you know, basketball. So we already won more championship or whatever. Yeah. I'm sure that that is in line, but what do you think he's going to be doing or some of his achievements off the court will be by the year 2060 comes around? Yeah, this is, this is going to be real interesting to see his, his post NBA career, what it looks like. Um, I think the biggest thing, um, his, I promise schools are going to expand pretty significantly. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in, you know, in cooperation with, uh, you know, with obviously local school districts, local school districts and stuff, um, you're first, for sure, you're going to have more of them in Northeast Ohio and probably throughout Ohio. You're probably going to have him pop up in LA. Um, you're going to have him pop up in Miami, places that he's played and he knows well. And, and like, you know, the community still likes him. Um, you know, you'll see him pop up in places like that. So you'll have those, I promise schools like coast to coast, basically not, might not be thousands of them, but you know, maybe a couple dozen, um, mm-hmm. stretch out coast to coast. And I, and I think those schools in particular, are going to really expand like what they do. Like, you know, the, I don't know everything about the, I promise school in Akron, but um, I know it's, it's more of a, it's more of like your typical, um, you know, K through 12 type of edge, or I think it's like five through 12 or six through 12, maybe I don't, whatever. Um, it's, it's more geared towards your typical education, but I'm not going to be surprised when we have an, I promise school that is just a STEM oriented school. That is an, I promise school. That's an arts oriented school. And I promise school that is, you know, is geared towards uh, uh, vocational, you know, vocational school. Yeah. Um, so that's not going to surprise me at all. Like when we get diversity in um, in the, the types of schools that uh, that LeBron's like backing. 
I definitely think there's going to be an Oscar in his future uh, at some point mm-hmm. in time. I mean, he's definitely going to be, you know, he and Maverick already, do they not already have a production company? It's, yeah, it's Braun. He almost got it with Joker. Like, Braun was a backer right. of, uh, right. of Joker, for sure. Yeah, so he, right. came, he came really close. If yeah. Parasite wasn't really fucking amazing, I do think that uh, Joker would have got that uh, award, for sure. Yeah. So there's definitely an Oscar in his future. Probably some other um, entertainment honorifics, the Oscars, uh, you know, Golden Globes, Emmys, whatever. Uh, he is... Is he a potential political candidate? Maybe. I think that I think that he would like to more align himself with a... With a with a political candidate, you know, with a, a young black progressive political candidate that has more of his ideals in mind. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't think he wants to climb directly in the political arena. But I know one thing for certain, he and Maverick and the crew are going to own the Cavs, are going to own majority stake in the Cavs at some point in time. Yeah, I, dude, all the stuff that you said right there, like the sports team ownership, I, I think that we'll see that very, very soon, like e- easily by 2030 at some point in time. Like I just that is such an attainable goal for him that that it's bound to happen. Mm. Same thing with the Oscar. The Oscar is that's just a matter of time. Like, honest to God, like that could easily happen next year, two years from now, yeah. three years from now. So that is definitely in the near future. When it comes to the political spectrum, this is where I think things get interesting, because a couple of years ago, I would have outright said no. I don't ever see him being a politician. But things have gotten so crazy lately that I think that if it gets any crazier, he's going to have like a call to arms moment and just be like, just to get up and do it and stuff. And he's so popular and so recognizable. And he's not going to obviously like run for president right away. But if he wants to launch a congressional or Senate campaign, like, I pity the person that runs against him. Like he'll win on name alone. And once he, if he ever got into politics, honestly, the sky's the limit. Like there's going to be just like basketball. There's going to be no containing that guy. But I just, I don't necessarily know if that is in his forte, because I, I agree with you. Like, I don't, I don't really see it, but knowing like what this guy, like what he's about and everything. And if injustices still keep happening and, all, you know, which we which we'll kind of get to some of that here in a little bit, but if if all this stuff keeps happening, I view it, I'm going to view it as just like a major call to arms, and I can see him rising up and doing something about it. But it's got to be it's got to be like really dire like dire straits for him to do it. Yeah, I I think I'm going to go ahead and wipe out like the the you know the federal level of of politics, but could I see him being the mayor of Akron? I absolutely could. Oh yeah, dude. Akron, like he may become the mayor of Akron and not even run. Like, right. People just, they might just write him in on the ballot. Right. But, but I mean, like if, if he wanted to be, the, I mean, he could just do that right now. But I mean, like it would be, it would be one of those things that like he, because like being a congressman and being, being a senator, not that they're, I, I don't want to like, I'm not trying to like put that down. It, it's, he could I already affect, know where you're going with this. He could affect I totally know so much more as the mayor of Akron than he could as the senator of Ohio, senator of, of California. He yes. could he could be the one spear point, you know, spearheading um, police changes, educational changes throughout the city of Akron, and actually like making tangible, visible changes in the course of his tenure, in the course of his terms. Right. Where it's like if he was a senator, he's it's not going to be like the same kind of change and stuff like that. Right. You know, he'll be there for signing bills and stuff like that. Right. But as far as like 
LeBron James cleaning up the streets or bring, no. bringing real prosperity to an area. It's going to be more on like a, a smaller, like mayoral or maybe even a gubernatorial level if he becomes the governor of Ohio someday yeah. and gets some like the I mean, line I out mean, of there. I mean, may, I mean, like if you want to do it in a big way, I, mayor of L.A. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, believe me, there's a lot of people out here that are pissed off with Garcetti. So, I mean, if, if there's going to be a time to run. It could be coming up here pretty soon. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean like that's that's sort of the political influence i see wielding um but but i i'm one of those like i hope he doesn't just like one day we don't we don't hear like oh yeah lebron's running for you know for senator whether he ends up living in california ohio or, or florida or whatever um like oh yeah bronze throwing his hat in the ring for senate and like eh, come on man just go be mayor of miami or something like, i think you get more done there yeah and believe me like the, they, there's a lot of issues with the mayor of miami too so pretty much anywhere he has played in He's ripe to take um, a political position, for political sure. position, especially yeah, for sure. with this this virus and stuff. But aside from like um, LeBron's off the court uh, greatness and everything, by 2060, will there be at least one player could currently be in the NBA or, or not? We maybe not have met this person yet, who will be compared to LeBron as the greatest of all time, the same way that LeBron is compared to Jordan. I mean, law of averages says there'll be at least like two players like that, right? Like in the next 40 years. Like, yeah. I mean. Mm-hmm. Law of averages says that. Do I think currently? I mean, I don't think it's Zion. Just I, no. I, I just have a feeling that Zion. I mean, I, I'm not saying that Zion won't be great. That he could, they can't win titles. I just think he's a very particular type of player. Um, he's just not the same sort of. It, it's it's athletic power as versus like the athletic grace of Jordan. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, his game isn't quite as diversified. I mean, it's. His game right now is better than Le- LeBron's at age 19, you know, 20, whatever he is right now. But do I think he'll become as diverse as LeBron? I, I just don't think so. Um, you know, like he, what, what's a good, I mean, there really isn't a similarity for fucking, for, for Zion. Yeah. He's, he's, I mean, he's he's a defensive end um, playing right. basketball. Maybe, maybe like prime Larry Johnson, you know, for the, okay. for the Charlotte Hornets, like a big, strong guy that really could power forward that could really muscle his way around the hoop. Um, yeah. Maybe he's like the best, the absolute best version of that. Um, and he, you know, that's, and if that's the case, then he's going to end up in the hall of fame one day. But I don't, I don't think that he's ever going to be on the level as LeBron or Jordan or magic Johnson or Kobe. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think we've met them yet. I, I don't think this yeah. person, maybe they're alive now, but I, I don't think we've met them yet. Yeah, I, me personally, I don't believe that we've met them either. And you're right. The law of averages, yeah, we're looking at more than one, um, at least in the next 40 years. Totally on, on board with you on that one. Yeah. Where, where I'm thinking, like, what I'm thinking is going to happen is there's going to be a sort of like what I call the bridge goat, which is like, which I have to put Kobe in this category. And I'm not taking away anything from Kobe's achievements whatsoever, but the, the conversation isn't like, Kobe and Jordan right now, or I don't even really, I mean, at the time I'm sure it was, but nobody's really having that discussion anymore. It's now like LeBron and Jordan. So I think that the, the league is bound for one of these like bridge greatest of all times, which right now, in my personal opinion, I'm looking at somebody like maybe Ja Morant or Luca. And what they do is they get paired up with a Shaq type figure, you know what I'm saying? Like, obviously like I'm Kobe is definitely like a, a single, a singular entity in his own way. Yeah. But there's a fair amount of people who do throw the whole, like, Hey man, well you had Shaq kind of like into the whole discussion and sure. stuff. But, but so then he also, I, then he also did it with Pau Gasol and, 
Um, who else am I forgetting from that? From those like that second oh, like, Lakers team, like Meta World Peace and all that, yeah. and like a Lamar yeah. Odom and, and stuff. Then he, yeah, then he yeah, did yeah. it as his own man. So yeah, you you bet, you bet. Which is which is something that um, which is something that what this bridge goat to, to be that bridge goat. I think is something that this person is going to have to prove if they want to get into that. But I, I don't think it's entirely out of the question that like John Moran one year just goes off and puts the team on his back or like Luca has like an incredible like playoff run. Yeah. But they're not, but they're not those care, but the people that are in the league now are the ceiling has been set at a Kobe Bryant level greatest of all time, which is slightly below the Michael Jordan and LeBron greatest sure. of all time discussion. So I, I would agree. The, the, that that's kind of like what I'm thinking as far as, as far as that goes, but, but you're right. By the time 2060 comes around, we could easily have had two other eras of basketball that are hotly debated between um, the greatest between Jordan, the greatest between this player and LeBron, like who knows what it is, but we're definitely going to be having that discussion multiple times throughout the, the course of your and I's uh, lives. And Absolutely. Everything. And and just real quickly, I'm glad you brought up Luca and Ja um, because I think they're, they're great, but like they just, I, I don't think either of them profiles the same way that LeBron and Jordan pro, even Kobe pro, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't think yeah. that they're, like John ja Morant could be, John ja Morant could be like a a slightly a more higher scoring Allen Iverson. Yeah, um, I gotcha. Which is again a great great player, but not Jordan, not LeBron, not Kobe, not Magic, not Kareem, not fucking Tim Duncan. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Uh, right. I, but like within, he's in that like you know he's in that next tier of like you know all time greats, um, and like Luca. Luca's in such a he is such an interesting player. He could be the closest thing that we've ever seen to Oscar Robertson, which is someone that does everything, literally everything on the court at at a at a proficient level. That like mm-hmm. I mean LeBron's the same way, but like LeBron also could especially when he was younger, could just overpower everyone. Uh, yeah. he's just so much bigger and stronger. That was never like Oscar Robertson's forte. He just he was able to just move Oscar Robertson just like was a technician who did who just like who knew how to play basketball so well, knew how to use his body so well that did everything perfectly right. And that's what Luca does because Luca's not an overpowering guy. What is he, 6'6, six, 6'5? Six, six, yeah, he's not that big a dude. Not a big dude, but he looks like he's, and it doesn't look like he's particularly fast, but somehow he just moves through everyone like they're not there. Yeah, I got you, man. I definitely understand what you're talking about. Yeah, he's got this all around kind of game, and I, I don't necessarily see him as being a greatest of all time like this is largely attributed to like i just don't really see a lot of like off the court personality with him and stuff and that has nothing to do with him being from slovenia or whatever and stuff because his accent is fucking rocking you know but there's just something about his off the court thing that he doesn't have that like phenomenon but you don't need to be when you're an oscar robinson and just kill him and you know he's going to bring dallas or whatever he's going to win a title at some point in time um but uh it's just a matter of when and how and all that stuff so absolutely and since we're on this, um, the greats and, you know, bridge goats and all that discussion, the next section I put is a, a potential return to greatness. So this is going to the first little bit of this here is college football. And I wanted to ask you, so in the year 2060, will the Michigan Wolverines, USC Trojans and Notre Dame Fighting Irish be considered elite, like top 20 college football programs in the country? I mean, yeah, yes, they will. Um, I mean, they're, I, I, if you're going to go elite, I would shrink that to like eight eight okay. programs okay. um yeah. you know because like really like when you go top 20 there's some like if if, if yeah, Ohio State were to I play gotcha. the 19th ranked team they would probably win they'd probably go nine and one in 10 games okay. um but regardless yeah I know, I know what you're saying here and I say yes and I say yes because 
those programs have too much of everything to be bad for such an extended period of time, even though they are kind of going through it. I mean, and bad sort of a, you know, like Michigan has been in a BC era before the, before the playoff, they were in a BCS bowl game. USC's been mm-hmm. in a BCS bowl game in the last like eight years, I think. Uh, Notre Dame played the for Rose, national, they the Rose Bowl. Yeah, that's right. That, that, oh. That's right. Notre Dame played for a national title not that long ago. Um, so they have like they have too much money, too much history, too many resources, too many fans, too like just there's too much for them to be bad for that for an extended period of time. I mean, like we're mm-hmm. I think we're looking at you know USC's been sort of mediocre now for the better part of like what 12, 10 years basically Something nine years like that, yeah. I think we're looking at this is going to be the worst part of Trojan's history for the going, you know, let's take the next 10 years. We're going to look back at this 10 years as a down period, the same way that Miami was kind of off their game basically from like 1993 to about like 99, 98 or yeah, yeah. 91 through about like 98. Yeah, dude, I understand what you're saying. Like these programs are definitely, there's too much at stake and there's too much history and tradition and money and everything like for them to stay dormant for that long, whether they will be in the top eight every year that that's like if they could do that the more power to them i just like i feel that that is going to be reserved for the alabamas and the ohio states and i i don't even see clemson being 60 years like i don't know clemson i think is the the splash in the pan right now yeah but um for these schools i do think that michigan right now anyway they're going to have the hardest hill to climb up Uh, notre dame like there's just so much money in notre dame and um Indiana, the state and everything like they're going to that is the rep, football representation for the state of Indiana. It's not Purdue or IU no. or anything no. like that. It's definitely Notre Dame. So there's just too much tradition in that. And at some point in time, like if things did get bad, they would just they would basically clean house and do whatever they needed to do to bring their program back to greatness. And it's the same thing with USC, like uh, USC right now. This is definitely their downtime. Um, and they I think they're in line to start turning things around in a big way pretty soon. But from what I know about life here in Southern California, um, money talks. And if you have enough of it, pretty much anything can happen. Mm-hmm. So USC to me is one of these schools that they could just wake up one day and be sick of it, snap their fingers. A hundred million dollars just shows up and they've got like the new hottest coach. They've got a whole new staff. They're recruiting um, in the top 10 for recruiting classes again. I feel that this could just like instantly change at any time, almost like the way Adam Sandler could just basically show up to set tomorrow and win an Academy Award if, if he wanted to. Right. But he's not. But he's not. Um, Michigan has what I feel is the hardest hill to climb up right now. I And I got to tell you, man, I, I hate to say this, but like I, I, I thought Harbaugh was going to be this, you know, kind of magic wand to wave over the program. But that's not the case right now. And there is such a cloud hanging over him and this program and stuff like that, like that at this time, that the only way that they're really going to be able to make changes to like, they're going to just have to basically clean house until they get it right. And with the way that that state is and how it is in this kind of like comeback mode and Detroit's doing actually some, like some pretty cool shit up there that they were not doing even three years ago when I was like living in a, going up to Detroit regularly. Mm-hmm. So Michigan's, comeback is more dependent on the state of Michigan's comeback, which I think is going to be a little bit slower 
then maybe it's going to be a little bit slower than like just like Southern California and stuff like that. So I think that they're just the, the two Michigan is one of the few schools in the country that I actually say is somewhat dependent on the current condition of their own state that they're in. Yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. And, and for uh, of these like three profile high profile teams that are on rockier times. Now the, the issue with Michigan that USC and Notre Dame don't have to deal with is that Michigan has to recruit against a fucking behemoth, has to play mm-hmm. against a fucking behemoth every year now. Um, right. USC, I mean, not that USC doesn't play big, high, you know, USC is also competing with Texas and Ohio State and Alabama for recruits, but in their own region, in California, in, in the West, you know, let's just go ahead and cut the country in half, um, they're, not, they're not competing with UCLA for necessarily the same recruits. They're not competing right. against Washington State for the same recruits. Um, you know, guys that are going to Washington state are going to Washington state. Like they're, mm-hmm. they weren't, they weren't That's on right. USC's map anyway. Notre Dame, they're in such a different position anyway. Like they're out of, you know, they're not at a conference. Um, they, they, they're much more selective, but they're also the guys that go to Notre Dame. We're going to go to Notre Dame and like nowhere else. Um, yeah, that's right. Whereas Michigan, I mean, you know, there's obviously plenty of guys that are, there, there, there's plenty of guys that go from Ohio to Michigan um, to play for the Wolverines because they have like a bad taste in their mouth about Ohio State. That's fine. Okay, cool. Um, but like the, we are competing for the same recruits. And if you want the best, if you're there just, you know, if it comes down to simply like education or something like that, okay. But if you want, you know, you toss a coin, you know, pick pick one or the other. If you want to, if you're looking at a particular great education, you can go to Michigan and get a great, great education. Go to OSU and get a great education. If you're looking for better football facilities, better coaches, the chance to play in a bowl game, the chance to play in a national title, the chance to be drafted to the NFL, where the fuck are you going to go? Yeah, you're going to Ohio State. There's you're going no to comparison. And stuff. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Not at you. Yeah, you're right, dude. No, that's a good point. That is a good point. And I got to tell you, like, with the, the top with, – Ohio State being such a behemoth and Alabama and everything being on the if we were to chop the country in half, the eastern side of the country, it is just so hard to compete with that, dude. Like if you're like the stud, if you're like a stud horse, like in any state in the east, like Missouri, whatever the hell it is, um, if you're that stud, like the Alabama guys and the Ohio State guys, they're getting to you like way before the USC guys are. Mm-hmm. And there's like I feel like that they could pitch a better deal. Like, hey, by the way, like you're away from home, but you're not like in Los Angeles. You know what I'm saying? Right. Or in South Central Los Angeles, let alone. <laughs> so um, I, I feel that they have a little bit better of a of a package deal to offer. Um, and that is just I don't know, man. I guess it's just like a testament of the times, and we are living in this day and age where players don't have to go to these big schools to get on tv to get recognition and stuff right. like they, they just don't like jimmy garoppolo went to northern illinois and he's a freaking went to the super bowl no, he, went, he, went you know to, he went to illinois it wasn't even northern illinois it was like a, it was a d2 illinois oh okay i thought he was a, i thought he was a mac guy my bad no no it, it's like illinois illinois central okay something like okay. that but he wasn't even he wasn't even in the mac Wow, Jesus fucking Christ! So yeah, well, that's just another testament as to uh, Garoppolo and everything like that. <laughs> but uh, I, I thought he was—I thought he was a Mac guy in um, in that re- in that regard. But I was wrong. Sorry about that. Oh, so. no, it's fine. No, because like people, I, like I, I always think that like I have this like in the back of my head that because I think he play, I think he went to the same college as Tony Romo, and for some reason, for a long for my instantly my head pops in Northern Illinois, and I'm like. 
no, I know that's not right because then I would have fucking seen Tony Romo play in college. Like, yeah. I, I would have seen him oh, while yeah. he was at Bowling Green. So, like, I that's know right. that's incorrect. It's a, it's like Illinois Central or something like that. I, I, I'll, I'll look it up here in a second, but. Uh, okay, gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, I, I could have sworn to God he was a Mac. I remember, like, right around the time Garoppolo was drafted that the Mac was really getting just like a lot of, um, they were, it was just like, they were beating big 10 teams and stuff like that. And it was, um, the Mac was going through some really cool stuff at that point in time. But, uh, okay. So I was wrong. So yeah. moving on. East, Eastern, um, Eastern Illinois university, Eastern Illinois university. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So many freaking Illinois universities. Okay. And they're all <laughs> directional too. Yeah, that's right. They are. That's right. So Michigan, Michigan has that too. They have like four schools with like different directions on them. Yeah, no. Then there's only one Ohio University, or no, there's Ohio, Ohio Northern. Ohio Northern, yeah, Northern Ohio. So, um, okay. So in 2060, the Browns have we got a Super Bowl. We at least have to have one by now. Uh, here's here's what I'll say. I'll say yes, and I'll say that because 20 years ago it was unfathomable that the Saints could win a Super Bowl. 30 years ago it was unthinkable that the Buccaneers could win a Super Bowl. That's right. Yep. 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 So that's I know what you're that's saying. That's what I'm banking yep. on. <laughs> yeah. It's anything can happen on any given Sunday. So like I'm, I'm going with like numbers and laws of averages. Like I got to say that in the entire duration of the team's history, which would have been a lot by 2060, they would have nabbed one, one Super Bowl. Like they would have had to at least gotten one. Yeah. And so the time period that we're currently living in and that we just kind of got out of between the years of 2010 and 2019, the past, basically the past decade, how is this, period of history going to be remembered um the, the team's history going to be remembered the, you mean the brown's team history right yes you bet yeah yes. okay just, i just want to double check yeah because otherwise my answer doesn't make sense uh but no yeah. um <laughs> really realistically 20 this past decade a team without any sense of identity top to bottom um ownership mm-hmm. the executive level um the obviously the coach and coach and player level no identity and literally one of the worst run franchises ever. Yep. Ever. Yep. Yep. This is like, this is by far and away, if they, this would be like a number one and two on a top 10 list of all time worst franchises in 2060. The Browns would still be number one or two on this list, it's, provided it's, somebody it's, else doesn't come around. It's between us and the Knicks. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, the Knicks, Knicks are an awful organization. I mean, they, and it's, and it's not even like, like at least like in the early part of it, like Jimmy Haslam could kind of claim, you know, like I had to clean up some messes and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, from the previous regimes, previous ownerships, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And now that that that's kind of gone, it's all his fault. Dolan has been in charge of the Knicks for a long fucking time. And that's they right. are trash because of him, because of him. Yeah, of course, dude. I, I could definitely, I definitely see where you're going with this for sure. And I got to say, man, like I, I agree with you. This there was no identity. This was like, it was barely even a freaking team. It was just almost like it was guys like playing uh, on the field and yep. stuff, you know? And, and I'm not going to lie there. There's been definitely some, you know, some positive moments and some like great memories that I've taken away from the last decade of Browns football. But for the most part, there, there's not a lot of them <laughs> for starters. And, no. uh, for the most part, like, I mean, it's just, this has been something that, that I don't even like as the Patriots have been something the NFL has never seen before in a positive the Browns have been that, but in the, the negative, yep. and there's no way to erase that from um, from history for sure. And and what do you and so, like when you think about like the great teams, even in recent, even like more the recent great teams, like the Patriots, obviously at the forefront of this. God, like you, like what, like what's the Patriots' identity? I mean, it's it's Belichick and Brady, right? But like beyond that, what's the Patriots' identity? Just winning and stuff like that. Like do being anything that to win. team. 
do yeah. anything to win. Um, what about the the Steelers? What's their identity? Just well run organization, like a great right. place to be a football player. How about uh, Baltimore? The Ravens. The Baltimore is by far and away an impressive younger organization in the league that just somehow for being as young as they are has done a lot of right things. Well, defense. Oh, defense. 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 Yeah, defense. That's, yeah. that's their, that's been their calling card for 20 years now is defense. I mean, obviously it's changed a little bit more recently, but like all these, these teams have even, even fucking green Bay, even, um, you know, even, even Dallas has an identity. The Browns mm-hmm. have none. None. And I'm really I'm really hoping that if Kevin Stefanski turns us into a run first team, I hope that's what we are. I hope that we like we actually develop this identity that like we're gonna that this is what we do. We punch you in the mouth and then we let Baker throw some bombs over the top. But but we're a we're a power football team. Yeah, dude. With the way that they have with Nick Chubb and everything and um and Hunt and everything in their background and the backfield there's no way that we cannot be the dominant running team in the NFL. Like to be that running team, control the clock to bring the game back to that level where the running back was like the shit on the field, like the stud on the field. That would be great to have that kind of football back in Cleveland or in the NFL in general. Right. Right. (laughs) So I want to shift a little bit here. Um, Johnny Depp. Okay. And I got to tell you, I promise you that I did not put this on here after the, the blood <laughs> writing news. I actually wrote that on here before that broke. And I don't know why I was thinking about Johnny Depp. I mean, it happens usually once or twice a week, but uh, so with Johnny Depp in 2060, is he remembered as one of the greatest actors of our generation? Or is this just a weird guy who was in movies one time? <sighs> He's the weird dude that beat up his wife and was in Pirates movies. Is how realistically we're going to think about him. Yeah, he okay, like part of me like is thinking that maybe maybe he might have like an old Johnny Depp renaissance the way Bill Murray and he all could. those guys had, but I'm not seeing that right now. I, I see this guy who just loves dressing in scarves and hats and rings and playing music and like being Johnny Depp then being Johnny Depp is somebody who actually works and continues yes. to make movies yes. and stuff like that. So I, I'm, I know that there's talent there and stuff like that. I'm not going to like deny that this guy or say that he has no talent because he's, he's shown it before, like on the screen, it's definitely there, but I don't believe that he's an Adam Sandler type that could just all of a sudden flip the switch and turn it back on. I I see it. Like if Johnny Depp was all of a sudden going to make a resurgence into doing serious movies and kind of shedding this idiot image that he's created for himself, he's going to have a couple flops in the beginning. Like he's going to pick like the mob movie that maybe he shouldn't have done. Or he's the, uh, like Vince Vaughn did with that jail movie where like Johnny Depp's in jail, but it's like a really raw movie and stuff. He's going to, he's going to make these kinds of mistakes that I just think are not going to give him the opportunity to make the comeback the same way that maybe like a Travolta has or old Bill Murray, even old Michael Keaton, for example. So because he is so goddamn weird and there's this wife beating thing and he's just so goddamn weird. I, I just can't see it. You know what I'm seeing? I, I really cannot see him being remembered as like this definitive great actor presence of our generation. His, but the, the car- the caricature of Johnny Depp has overwhelmed the actor, Johnny Depp. Like, yeah, there, there was a point in time. Everyone knew Johnny Depp was a weird dude. Like that, 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 so, that hasn't changed over time. Like he was weird in the fucking eighties. So, I mean, like, uh, like everyone knew that, but like, now his weirdness is like what he is like there's there's not 
there's not much of the actor left. Yeah, you're right. Like the the public has just totally focused in on this caricature of him. And that's what they see. They see the guy with the scarves and the hats and the glasses and everything like that. They don't see Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. They don't see like um, some of his earlier it's greater stuff. It's hard yeah, to, it, man. It, it really is. Like, And even um, even if I was not to see the, the guy in the hats and the rings, all I'm seeing is Jack Sparrow. And I will tell you, yeah. I haven't even seen a Pirates movie. I, I don't even know if I oh, ever will. So Can I, can I give you a, a hilarious trip that you should try taking? Oh, go for it. So the I, I've mentioned this podcast several times before, and I, I definitely think you should check it out. The We Hate Movies podcast. They they yep. did all five of them in a row, and it like <laughs> it the commentary on like what exactly is going on, but also like the the the, the Johnny the ongoing commentary with Johnny Depp is mm-hmm. bizarre. Like it, it's very clear that like his interest in these movies wanes with each yeah. movie. That he is just yeah. less and less interested in being in these things. Yeah, I've heard um, that number one, the movies get worse and worse as they go on. I heard, actually, I, I heard, I've heard I the first one is not bad. The first one is definitely not a bad movie. It's 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 some it's decent like popcorn you know pirate action stuff. Then they get like they get away from like pirate stuff and they get into like fucking magic and myth stuff. Um, yeah. But it supposedly, is it the fourth one or the f- one of the last two is supposedly like a lot better than. It doesn't come up to the level of the first one, which, you know, it's fine. But, like, it's a lot better than the, the, all the other ones, supposedly. Like, somebody just decided to take this one movie very seriously. Somebody cared <laughs> about it, basically. <laughs> yeah, it must have been, like, the guy that... It must have been a new hire. Like, somebody who actually gave a shit about their job and not, like, a seasoned screenwriter or something. Yeah. Because, like, the way that those movies, like, what they mean to me, it's, it's just this franchise that... I know it's made of like a billions of dollars and stuff like that, but I just don't give a shit about it. I don't think I ever no. have. No, there, so, there's, there's some, there's some fun, interesting shit in a few of them, but like, blah, whatever you want to watch, you want to watch interesting pirate shit. I'm telling you, go watch black sales. Yeah. Th- something like that. I think would be way more of my alley than Disney presents pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so if he's not going to be remembered as w- one of the greatest uh, actors of all time, who it's just a couple people or maybe one or two, whatever. Um, oh, who do I you think will be, I got I got Okay. So I have like a whole list here that I'll get through quickly. Uh, okay. I, I pulled it out into like, into like sort of three different uh, tiers, if you will. Um, okay. In terms of like God tier, who we're going to consider the greatest actor, actress of all time. It's, it's Meryl Streep right now. And mm-hmm. I, I say Meryl Streep, I'm going to use, I'm going to go ahead and use like a, some sports terms here. She has the stats, she's got the hardware, and she passes the eyeball test. All right. Yeah. She gets nominated for something every fucking year. It doesn't, like in her sleep, she gets nominated for fucking awards. Um, right. And then she ends up winning those goddamn awards. She's, she has like something like 16 um, uh, Academy Award nominations and like what, like four, five or six wins? Yeah, that's insane. Like, it's, no it's one else lot. has that number. It's, it's a lot. Plus, you know, so there's like, there, there's the stats and the hardware. Plus, when you see her in something, whether it's a movie, it's a TV show, does she not elevate that movie or TV show up to next up to the next level? Oh, she was in Big Little Lies, and it was, I thought that that show, the season, I don't know how they, what they were going to get out of it. Season two was amazing. Yeah. With, because of her, she was great in it. She she is, she is the fucking Tom Brady of, of acting, and it's going to be, you're going to be hard pressed to find anyone that can get past her. Um, then like in my next tier, that's where you're going to have, you're going to find your Leonardo DiCaprio's. Um, mm-hmm. you're going to find your Christian Bale's Michelle Williams, um, even Morgan Freeman, although he's basically a voice at this point, but younger Morgan Freeman. 
um, you know, younger Tom Hanks. That's like your yeah. that's like your next level of of your like of your greats. Um, and then I this is what I then I went next gen. The people that we're going to be talking about in 2060 that are like the this the, we saw them as kids basically. Um, mm-hmm. Sorsha Ronan, Timothy Chalamet, um, Florence Pugh, Breed Larson. It's mostly women actually. It's kind of funny, but that's like yeah. your next. Those are going to be your next, like, every fucking year these people are going to be nominated for Oscars. They're going to be doing, you know, Oscars, uh, Golden Globes, et cetera, et cetera. Those, that's, like, your next level. And then I threw in a wild card because I think this kid is actually a, a good actor, a good kid actor. The kid who's on um, Young Sheldon, uh, Ian Armitage. Oh, I know who you're – I haven't watched the show, but I know that for a kid actor, yeah. that's pretty impressive for a kid. He's like, not he... bad for, like, being 10 or 11 or whatever the fuck he is. Um, and actually if that show wasn't related to the big bang theory, I think it would be even funnier if it had nothing to do with the big bang theory. If it was just a, a, a story about a smart kid growing up in Texas. Yeah. You know, dude, I'm telling you like the big bang theory. Yeah. I moved beyond it. I'm not going to lie. Like there maybe would have been a point in time where it was cool, mindless eat, TV to watch while I eat yeah. or something like that. But what the show has become in the course of the last like five years is just this staple of like, just shitty television that just somehow went on forever. <laughs> went on way too long. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you like the, the kid, he's got some chops. I've seen some, some like clips and stuff like that of the show. I, I just don't care for it because it's a spinoff of the big bang theory, which is probably why it just a show about a smart kid would work a lot better. And I'll tell you, I hope that CBS doesn't sink their teeth into that kid because I really don't want a, potential career to be ruined by him to just be the face of the next CSI Sheldon for the next year. 20 years of his life. Yeah. They do. They do Sheldon the college years. And then when, when the kid's older and stuff like that, they, it's like what happens to Sheldon after the big bang theory. And yeah. so, I mean, who knows the kid could have a career his entire life off this one character. I just hope that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> right. how, how about you? So, what do you, what, how do you see uh, this breaking down? So, Okay, so like I, I kind of in a, in a way did like what you did with like a tear and stuff like that. Like um, you you got that right on Meryl Streep. Um, I, I think Daniel Day Lewis is in there. Oh, like, good call. Good call. He, um, he's definitely as far as like the older guys, he's definitely up there. Like the, there's something about Daniel Day Lewis as far as the guy, like a like not like a non-female god category person. There's can, something about him that is just like a, a cut above the rest. Can I can I um, can I give like um just real quickly. Whereas Meryl Streep is sort of like the Meryl Streep is the LeBron, mm-hmm. Daniel Day Lewis might be Michael Jordan, where okay. he takes over and he's going to be the one that leads us to the win. Yes, yes, I got you. I definitely got you for sure. So like, I like him up there. Like, I'm telling you, man, I I really wanted to put Jack Nicholson in some of these categories, but um, he's like, I don't know. Jack is like a personality yes. actor hybrid almost. You know yes. what I'm saying? Where even as great as he was in The Departed, I feel that when Scorsese went up to the screenwriter, whose name of which is escaping me, and said, hey, by the way, I got Jack Nicholson to play this part, this screenwriter completely revamped the script to be more like yes. Jack Nicholson. Yep. So I like Leo is definitely, like, as far as people that are slightly above us in, in age, Leo is definitely, like, the cream of the crop. Like, it doesn't really get much better than DiCaprio. Like, Bale, Tom Hardy, like, is a great actor, but I'm still waiting for him to have that yes. role that yes. laments him. It's not going to be Venom because Venom wasn't all that great, but he'll, he'll get it eventually. He'll get it eventually. Um, and as far as people that are 
you know, like our age or whatever, maybe just like slightly younger or older. I'm all on the Brie Larson camp. One of the Maras is going to do something substantial. Like it, right now, it seems to be Rooney is Rooney. The, Rooney the, is definitely the better actress, and Kate Mara. Not that she's a bad actress, but I, Rooney Mara is a better actress, way and better actress. Kate Mara. I, I I could see Kate Mara headlining a TV show of her own. Yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly what I could see. It's something like the the Kate Mara, whatever, something like that. She's more of a personality than yes. like a, an actress and stuff. So Rooney is. Like it's going to be at some point in time. She's got it. I think she's just waiting to get there. And now that she's, um, you know, had been with Joaquin Phoenix, some of his chops is going to rub off onto her. I'm assuming that's what's going to happen. Um, and the other thing too, like, I'm not going to throw this guy out, but Robert Pattinson is going to, he, in the next 10 years or so, this guy is going to change a lot of opinions. And it's really hard even for me to disassociate him with Twilight that I like believe me, I'd maybe seen all of 15 minutes of the Twilight movies total, but that movie was just such a phenomenon and him as the vampire. Like I still have a hard time disassociating that, but in the next 10 years or so, he's going to work with every A-list director known to man. Like mm-hmm. he's worked, he, he's already knocked out a bunch of them and that resume is only going to continue to build. And it, whether it's Batman or a couple roles down the line, but Robert Pattinson is going to be a, Big time, big time name as far as actors that are younger than us. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. It really helps that I've basically seen none of, of Twilight. <laughs> that, yeah. like, other than a few clips and, like, some memes and stuff. That, like, I don't have that taste on my mouth for either Kristen Stewart or Robert Pattinson. Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha, dude. Like, and that's a good thing. Like, because I have a feeling that with those, just knowing the stigma and the cloud that hangs over those movies, I'm not going to like them. So if I, if as long as I don't keep watching them, I'll never actually be impacted by them, which <laughs> right. allows me to view their work way more objectively. And, and Pattinson's right. done some good stuff. Right. And let's, and let's also, let's also talk about how teenagers usually aren't great actors. And that really fucking shows with Kristen Stewart, especially. As, as she was like fucking 15 or 16 when she started in those movies. Right. Of course. Yeah. They, their talents aren't developed yet and everything like those roles, you know, are basically just ways to make money and get their names out there to take it as seriously as you possibly can as a 15 year old. But if you have, if you have the chops and stuff, like as I do believe Pattinson does, like there's a, there's a big time career ahead of him in the yeah, future. For sure. Oh, you know, what, you know who I forgot I should have mentioned? Too, that's going to be he's going to be big like in this coming decade john david washington oh yeah oh Th- yeah this next it's, decade is yep. going to be his for sure yep dude like ballers number one love ballers yep but the jump that he's made from black Klansman to now christopher nolan's tenant and being the star of it yep you don't make those kind of jumps if you don't have any kind of skill or talent or whatever. Like he's he's got a lot to be proud of and i'm telling you like i i don't know if he could Denzel is such an icon that I don't necessarily know if he will ever be like that level of icon, but he sure as fuck will be a great goddamn actor. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. hundred percent. So when it comes to diversity in Hollywood, which Hollywood is definitely getting more diverse, but by 2060, um, which of the major uh, like franchises, you know, like the bonds, the Batman, sure. Spider-Man's, et cetera, which one of these will be the first to recast the lead role as either a person of color or a woman? So this is, this is an interesting question. And it, it also, especially with the comic booky kind of stuff, it opens up other, 
it opens up some like sort of caveats and other doorways and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I do want to start with Bond though, because I think this is an important one, and I I think Bond will be fairly resistant to change. Um, like it's 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 I just have a feeling it's almost always going to be a white guy, but like you know Daniel Craig's done after this current Bond comes out. I think next year. Um, right. Yeah, it got pushed into next year. Daniel Craig's done. Like I, we know that he's not going to do any more unless something bizarre and something drastic changes his mind. Um, he's not going to do it again. How this hasn't just been given to Idris Elba, I'm not sure. Like, yeah, I, this should this should already be like a done deal that whenever whenever they can go back into like full movie production, Idris Elba should be Bond. Um, so it's it just to me it just should fall into his lap. Seems like a home run. It seems yeah. like this should have been done a while ago. Yeah. So, but I think in general Bond will be kind of resistant, um, especially like when you think about like the character that Bond is. People would throw a fucking fit if there was, let's say Bond was, um, say Bond was Charlize Theron, um, mm -hmm. you know, it was Jane Bond or whatever, Janet Bond doesn't really fucking matter, and she was out there seducing men and women, fucking them, being, you know what I mean? Like, there would be a segment of people that would fucking throw a fit about that. Yes. So I think Bond is just a little bit more resistant to change than some of these other ones. But, like, again, I would be... If someone other than Idris Elba gets named the next Bond after Craig, I will be fucking shocked. Shocked. Yeah. Bond is a little too British and a little too or, um, or originated in Britain or whatever. Like that's where I see the resistance coming from. It's well, I, can I, it's, it's a, it originates from this like sort of very old school male power fantasy. Is this yeah, whole character? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's, there's this whole thing. And I, I hate this guy. I've hated, I thought at one point in time, he might've been a, a, a voice of reason on the other side, but Ben Shapiro has gone mm -hmm. totally off the fucking deep end in the last like two years or so. Yeah. And he made this like big tirade about Bond being the, the male fantasy and stuff. And it would never work as a woman and everything. And like that, I know that that is like at the core of the anti change in bond. I know that that's what the argument yes. is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Continue. Oh, oh no, I was just, I was just going to say like, man, I, I do think that it should be Idris Elba and I hope to God that we get that sooner than later. I, I, Bond being a woman, I know that that is like really, that that's going to be a fight that people fight till the way end, but I could see it maybe happening in 26 by 2060, but they, if it's not, it should just be Idris Elba the, the, the minute they, they decide to recast after yeah. Daniel Craig, which will they, happen in the next couple of years. They, like in the future, like in the near future, if you were to do a lady bond, so much of this character would be, would be like so much, so many of the personality traits that we know about bond would be just completely erased. Like, right. She would be essentially like an asexual being who just happens. I mean, it would be like a very, you know what? We've seen these movies, but we've seen Charlize Theron and atomic blonde. We've, mm -hmm. we've seen, um, uh, what's her face? Jennifer Lawrence in that red sparrow movie or whatever. Like, although yep. she does like seduce men in that movie, but it would like we've seen that before so like if i was a writer i would be like well why even bother sticking the name bond on it obviously for to make money but yeah like we're if we're going to change the characters that drastically it's not bond anymore no that's very very true dude and like that is kind of the way that they would have to treat it because of the way audiences are and the way audiences perceive women and the way audiences perceive sexually 
you know, active women, no yeah. less, that um, some of these things would just be you would be looking at like Red Sparrow 2 or Atomic Blonde 4 or something like that. And I don't think that those kind of characters, I don't know, man, at some point in time, they're just going to have to be rounded. They're going to have to have more depth. They're going to have to be mm-hmm. more realistic. And they're in all and to put it simply, they are going to have to address the fact that women get horny. Like, that's <laughs> right. what it is. Right. Like, that everyone gets horny. Like, and actually, I, and I think this this current iteration of Bond not that it's like progressive, but like they have rounded some of those edges off that mm-hmm. like, I remember watching some of like the old Sean Connery bonds. He was in bed with a lot of women. He spent a lot of time just lying around in bed. So like, I, you know, like they've, they've done some interesting changes to bond, but like, again, bond is 100% like this male power fantasy that, that is, yeah. it's going to be difficult to change over to, if you wanted to make it a woman, it's going to be difficult to change it over to a woman. Yeah, I got you, dude. I, I got to say, like, if I was going to say, like, let's just say, for example, that Idris Elba does not get cast as Bond. The one thing that I is locked and loaded and ready to go, that it's just a matter of whenever they decide to do it. It's either Spider-Man going the Miles Morales route instead of Peter Parker or the Green Lantern being an African-American uh, lead. Those are like the Green Lantern one might happen before Spider-Man because Tom Holland is just killing it right now and everybody loves Tom Holland. But whenever Tom Holland's tenure as Spider-Man is done, that is going to be a one of Marvel's first big um, race swaps, uh, oh, for swaps sure. That's... whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, you're you're right. That, that and that was actually my, that was actually my next point here was that like we've already we already have Miles Morales, an Afro Latino Spider Man, and and as as the Into the Spider Verse uh, will tell you, there's female Spider Men, there's Spider Women, there's mm-hmm. black, there's white, there's like there's a whole diversity of Spider Men, um in 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 the in the Spider Verse. So like why the fuck not? And because it's this is a character that it, it you can easily it doesn't like you don't all have to be bitten by radioactive spiders. Um, right, we right. can we can make you into the Spider Man however the fuck we want to. It's a very yep. it's a very movable character. Mm-hmm. Definitely, dude. Yeah, that's one that I think that people they're they're kind of ready for. I, there's something about it that I think the Andrew Garfield ones were like one that was just like okay, maybe we shouldn't do the same shit, even though it was only the second incarnation because they were so bad. Yeah. And then Disney Disney showed how to do it right, and the next evolution of the character is to go um, is to to swap him out with somebody of a different um, race or ethnicity for yeah. sure. Yeah. So in the future of Hollywood, can you like briefly describe like what the what well, you hold think on, the, the hold te- on. Oh, sorry, I am not sorry, done with sorry. this one yet. Oh, Chama, sorry on. about that. Sorry since, about that. Since you mentioned it, um, you know, just to just to sort of wrap this one up, Anthony Mackie is the next Captain America. So, oh we yeah, are, we are yeah. now yeah. having Black yeah. Captain America. Yeah, um, that's right. So there's there's that's going to be taken care of. Um, I think, Chem, if you really want to get into interesting storytelling territory, changing either the 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 race your race race ethnicity or sex of Batman would be the most interesting. I agree. That is one that um, man. Let me tell you something like. There's there was a call for um, to make a push to have Batman be a, a minority actor. This whenever they were you know with all this Affleck subterfuge and all this yeah. stuff, I got to tell you, it's it's going to happen. But that one is going to be one that is a long ways away, and it's not necessarily the. It, it's basically rooted in what is going on with DC now and how the Batman Superman was perceived as so bad and the Justice League. Yeah. They, I almost feel that before they pass the torch or do the swap, however you want to phrase it, 
they have to end on like the highest possible note because if you go from like Batman and Robin to an African American Batman, I'll still be there. I'll still be going to the theater for sure. But there's something about it that I don't think would go well over with audiences because you're going from a bad product to an unfamiliar product. It'll still be the the number one movie in the in the country that weekend and everything. But I don't know. I, I'd want it to I'd want it to be replaced when the product is at its highest, not at its lowest. Here's the so thing. So it doesn't though. so it doesn't look like damaged yeah, goods. I understand what you're saying. But here's the thing though that like you're that you're kind of you're kind of going with the fact that we would just be swapping Batmans. I want them to burn Batman to the fucking ground and reinvent him. So oh, okay. if you're going to tell the story of Black Batman, I don't want to see fucking rich Martha Wayne and Thomas Wayne get shot ever again. I gotcha. It's gotta be a story okay. that actually tells the story of someone who happens to be black. Yeah. Yeah, there, I, I gotta say, it's probably exists somewhere. There's probably some sample, like source material, that they could use in some way, shape, or form. But the, you're well, right; I that mean, is good. Not be... even. I don't even need source material. I need someone writing like they did with Watchmen, like what David mm-hmm. Lindelof did with Watchmen. I want a black writer or multiple black writers in the room telling the story of black people in America. So if we're gonna, if Batman's gonna be African American or Latino or Asian or whatever. His origin story has to make sense for someone who's black, who's Latino, who's Asian, who's gay, who's a woman, whatever. Yes, you bet. It's going to look very out of place if African-American Bruce Wayne is there watching his African-American family shot in the alleyway. If it's just the, the same, I mean, if we're just changing the skin color, who the fuck cares? We've, we've seen yeah. it before. But it has to be like rooted in, in his African-American black Batman would have to be rooted in what it means to be to be a black person in America. Yes, of course. They would they would need that to connect with the audiences and stuff like that. And when you say that there's now that I think about it, there's no way that the color swap would just work. There's no way. Like it would look really I, I guess it would look, very, look really, it would really look very, thrown together. It would look very um it, it would just look very shallow and like a, an attempt. Like Hey, black people! Look, we have Batman's black now. Like, okay, yeah. but we're still telling the exact same race, the skin color. You're telling the story of a privileged person whose parents get killed and has billions of dollars at its disposal to do whatever he wants. Right. You're not necessarily capturing the story of African Americans right. in America through that lens. You Which know what again I'm saying? is just another advertisement for why we, everyone should be watching Watchmen right now. Yeah, exactly. Yes, and I believe me, I could never recommend a show uh, more because, goddamn, that was some good ass stuff yeah. for sure. <laughs> that was some good ass stuff. So no, I I agree with you on that. That's that's definitely right, and that's the only way that they're ever going to make it work. And it, they don't even have to have him in the same kind of suit. It could look different. Right. I mean, people are talking about maybe doing this Batman and Beyond thing where it's in the future and shit. And I'm telling you, like at some point in time, they are going to have to do this. Like. Superman might be one of these properties that might be off limits. Like there is something about Superman that, well, number one, it's got a lot of problems on the big screen. So once Henry Cable's tenure with the the character is over with, we're not going to see Superman on screen for a while. Probably not. But, um, but Batman is going to be one that is going to have to change. Like at some point in time, it, it will. Oh, for sure. For sure. So, okay. So with that, so with Batman and with this change and with these changes that are imminent, what what do you see like the landscape of Hollywood looking like in the in the future and stuff? Are there going to be more minority led roles, more minority focused shows? Like, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I mean, we're already edging that direction anyway. Mm-hmm. But like, your 
your next like comedy phenomenon, like thinking of like a friends level like sitcom, right? Like mm-hmm. your next phenomenon is not going to be whitewashed like friends. Um, right. it's, it's not gonna, you know, it's gonna be, it's gonna be entirely, and it's not gonna be forced either. It's not like, it's not like we're gonna have, like, one white person, one black person, one Asian person, one Native American, one Latino, like, all, like, in a, in a show. Um, right. it's just gonna happen to be, like, it's just gonna be, like, like, the next big sitcom phenomenon in a decade from now will just happen to be about, you know, um, you know, you know, black community in, in Brooklyn or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's just, it's not gonna be, like, a big issue that, like, that's, you know, like that, that five black characters are, um, you know, are like the biggest comedy stars in America. Like it's not going to be an issue. Um, and we can, right. I don't want to get into the whole living single thing. Have you, are you aware of this? Uh, I know, I know about the show and I've heard about some kind of thing. I'm not entirely fine. Well, 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 I just get into my next point, look up friends on Wikipedia and look up living single on Wikipedia and tell me what their synopsis are. Um, okay. but I, I just, I'll, I'll just finish up my rant here pretty quickly, but, um, it's not going to be like we're not going to have like news clippings about uh, the romantic lead in a movie being Asian or Hispanic or black or whatever. Like that's not going to be newsworthy whatsoever. You know, you're, you're going to have it's not going to be weird to have, um, you know, an, an Asian, which for whatever reason happens in a lot of movies, a lot of action movies. Um, Asian people obviously are always like Kung Fu masters or whatever, because that's apparently all people do in Asia. Um, right. But like you're going to have the sort of like action romance lead that happens to be Asian. Or, fuck, happens to be a woman, for all I fucking know. Like, a lot of these things will become so normal. Like, you and I, in 2060, are going to be watching a sitcom where, like, the two dads are raising a family. And we're not going to care. Because it's going to be funny. Yeah, that's right. It's not going to have that whole... You're not watching the show because it's, like, controversial because it's two dads or whatever. It's just the way that the show is. Because it's funny. Okay. Right, right. And I did look up Friends and Living Single. So, um, just from the first, like, top... The, the, basically the first sentence of the, their Wikipedia, the first paragraph, I mean, friends says um, the show revolves around six friends in their 20s and 30s who live in Manhattan in New York City. The living singles summary says the show centers around the lives of six black friends who share personal and professional experiences while living in a Brooklyn brownstone. Which one came first? The um, well, the living single. Yeah, that, that one show was on. Wait, was it on? Wait, hold on one second. Yeah, living singles first. Yes. Where do they get all the ideas from friends from? From living single, it looks like. Yep. Wow. Okay. No, I I didn't hear. I've never been aware of this direct comparison before. No, I had no idea. Well, not comparison. They stole I mean, all the ideas they're, they're from stolen. living single and made friends. Yeah. Yeah. No shit. I had no idea about that. Holy Christ. Okay. Wow. Well, thank you very much for that. I honestly, I never in my life have ever heard that before, and I could definitely see that because i remember living single episodes for sure okay yeah i mean Interesting. I, stealing i don't know stealing is is probably a harsh no i, I don't i want to say it's harsh but because that 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 i want to say harsh harsh on the fact of who, who the fuck who the fuck wrote friends it's like crane and cleric kaufman and crane kaufman and crane or, kaufman and bright or something like that but um like harsh on them on their part but like it doesn't diminish what Courtney Cox and Jennifer Aniston and the crew, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't diminish their contributions to the show. Okay. I understand what you're saying. I definitely got you. Yeah. No, I did not know about that at all, but no joke. The, the explanations of the show are a couple words off and that's it. You know, (laughs) especially the whole Manhattan, New York city, Brownstone and Brooklyn. Yeah. 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 yeah, Totally. Exactly. Yeah. 
And like one thing that um, you're you're right about all the stuff with um, it just you know it, watching a show because it's funny. And the one thing that I that I see is um, I could see these classic stories. You know, like there are these movies that they remake a thousand times, like King Arthur, Beowulf, mm-hmm. Peter Pan, Romeo and Juliet. Sure. You know, these yeah. these staple stories of our of our times and everything. At some point in time. You're going to see like Romeo and Juliet. Now it may not be like you know in medieval times or whatever, but it'll be Romeo and Juliet, but as African American actresses, but actually under the banner of Romeo and Juliet. The same way you, you might get be, Romeo and Romeo. Yeah, you could easily get Romeo and Romeo too. Yeah, you bet. You never know. Like with with the way that um, diversity is shaping the industry. So I think that at some point in time, um, and I actually do believe that this would be a great way to start to introduce audiences to a more diverse like you know corral of actors and actresses is to start to retell these classic stories using people of color and minorities because they're going to be making peter pans till the end of time dude it's going to happen no matter what it's going to happen whether it's minority actresses robots animation whatever the hell it is there's going to be peter pans until the end of time at some point in time you should tell Peter Pan's story from the perspective of a minority or, you know, like make the Peter Pan's story, like a metaphor for minorities in the minority struggles or Mm -hmm. something like that, which, Mm -hmm. which you could do. There's a, there's a twist where Peter Pan is an old guy who gets taken back to Neverland by Julia Roberts. So this is not entirely out of, out of the question. Oh, for sure. And, and when people, when people see this and they see, you know, like just classic stories being opened to, um, a more diverse uh, stable of actors and everything. I, I think that this is a good way to to introduce this element of diversity and also to basically make it seem and to shut down any arguments that like, you know, that all of a sudden like everything is um, happening too fast or everything's taking over. There's too much change. Like all these arguments will be shut down by starting to integrate them in, 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 a, in the appropriate way, which yeah. I do believe that this is the way to do it. I, and by the way, I love that you, you picked up on like the classic stories because I, I, I just like as soon as you said that it came to me, I, was, I, I had a movie in the back of my head. I'm like, wait, we tried this 20 years ago. I can't remember it. Uh, Romeo Must Die with yeah. Jet Li and Aaliyah as your two leads. You have a you have a, an Asian man and a black woman as as uh, Romeo and Juliet. Like they're you're right. Like these kind of staple stories, they're open to they're open to so much interpretation that it doesn't even matter like who the leads are. Um, yeah. And it, and it is a good way to introduce to introduce old classic stories to new audiences that wouldn't have otherwise gotten it. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and guess that at the time, uh, the, the you know, the 2000, the, the late great Aaliyah, probably most of her fans weren't super into Shakespeare. But right. it's a movie that made almost $100 million. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm telling you, dude, and those stories are so... They're so central to storytelling, to entertainments, that, and that's, that's why they're retold and revamped over and over yep. again, that... Even if for some reason Peter Pan 10 tanked, Peter Pan 11, 12, and 13 will be right there. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like these studios have no reason to fear for their franchises because they're going to be making these movies if they're bad, good, shitty, whatever. They're just going to be made. They're perennials of 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 entertainment. Oh, because you'll get get a fucking – you'll have like a Robin Hood on TV at some point that's black. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, you know, yeah, or whatever. That's a lesbian, like you know, whatever. However, they decide to interpret it. Uh, real quickly, if Idris Elba doesn't get Bond, can I give you the maybe the the uh, the obvious next choice? Who's that? Henry Golding. Henry Golding. Why do I know that name? Crazy Rich Asians. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. We, Jess and I were talking about Crazy Rich Asians yesterday. Okay. Yeah. yeah. If, 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 those, if one of those two people is not the next Bond, then they should just not make Bonds ever again. Yeah, that dude is slick, man. I could see him. I could see him doing it for sure. Yep. That guy is slick. Yep. Slick. 